0: there will be no real, non-controlled currency in the world. Baby's 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 baby. We're coming for you, banks.
1: Bitcoin is punk rock. Deal with it. You split, we bankrupt you. So do you use like wallets to pay for things or not? No, Bitcoin cash would be seen as more of a threat to the United States hegemony than Bitcoin, Miles
2: Town,
0: what's your favorite kind of money? Bitcoin Cash. Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast. Following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency. This is episode number 47, the UST, or I guess Luna, depegging, pegging cryptocalypse and humanitarian Bitcoin featuring Jenny. Today is Sunday, the 15th of May, 2022. I'm your host Jeremy, same as always, Jet is doing the producing and today uh, we have a very special guest, an Aussie expatriate, a Bitcoiner and obviously humanitarian who's here to tell us all about how Bitcoin is going to save the people of the world. So Jenny, welcome to the show. Uh, Glad to have you and introduce yourself. How did you get into Bitcoin?
3: super cool to be here. Um, And it's nice to see you again. It's been, we met in person a couple of weeks ago, right? And we got really into talking about the humanitarian side of Bitcoin. So uh, happy to be jamming in on this with you. So my Bitcoin story, I mean, I don't work in the space. I'm actually, um, you know, built at the moment running a startup that's more in health tech, but really found the whole Bitcoin story super compelling. And It was about uh, a year ago, I would say, and probably not your traditional story of how someone got into Bitcoin. So mine was, I don't know if you've ever had this on on your show before from a guest. Please tell me if so. But um, more or less, you know, uh, met a guy and was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. What is Bitcoin? And I fell into this at first just kind of wanting to understand his world a little bit, but then very quickly discovered that it was helping me reconstruct, you know, my basically how I understood the world works and like I had an economics degree from university um, but even through that whole process I think I learned more going down the bitcoin rabbit hole about how you know how the world economy how geopolitics and everything works um, from yeah going down the bitcoin rabbit hole and then there's the side about the humanitarian promise of bitcoin which I think is the very interesting angle that we don't necessarily talk about as much in the west and so very keen to jam in on that one
0: with you Mm. yeah well i think i mean you say it's sort of uh non-traditional or or whatever i mean there's certainly an element i think it's not an uncommon story basically especially for Mm. women to have been introduced like by a guy just because the early parts of the community were just overwhelmingly male that's just literally how it went it's Mm -hmm. at the intersection of so many things which are sort of male dominated demographically right so Yeah, for sure. um, If you were a part of finance, exactly. Yeah, yeah, or like computer science, right? Those (laughs) certain
3: forums back in 2011, 2013, and then I I think, I mean, you know, the history of this much better than me. But there um, comes a point where you know now it's like people going in on this and discovering that it's not just about um, getting rich, and it's not just about different tokens and different currencies, but there is a whole other side. To this, yeah. that is much more about like what is the vision of society that we could uh, build towards, and I think yeah. in a way, I do think that story resonates more with women than the kind of you know, which coin and and maybe even getting really technical. Um, but yeah,
0: no, it's definitely, and it's one of the most strangest things about uh, Bitcoin, and I think it will it will be a very long time before society comes to understand all the things that are sort of encapsulated in this. Right. And it's kind of the genius of Satoshi that, that there was a way to bootstrap this idea economically, you know, it is so unique and it is such a paradigm shift. Like how many other things the world got introduced as a, as a, yeah, at the, at the cross point of all this sort of sociology, psychology, economics, technology, it just combines so many things, uh, together and it, yeah, it, it really is just uh, amazing. And yeah, I agree with you. The broader story has been mm-hmm. lost a little bit in the mania of we're all trying to get get rich. <laughs> and that's definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely something we'll we'll touch on. Uh, Absolutely,
3: today. yes. There's a great analogy here of, um, by Alex Gladstein around the Trojan Horse, which I'm sure we'll get to. Which is, you know, we can get rich at the same time as uh, encouraging this tool for freedom.
0: Exactly, greed is good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. maybe uh, deployed you know.
3: in, in useful ways. It, it absolutely right is a very um, powerful incentive.
0: Exactly, it's very reliable. People, people love to look out for themselves. All right, but first off, well, ironically, then we got to touch on the price. <laughs> so this week, the crypto prices have been getting absolutely destroyed. Uh, the Luna UST Ponzi scheme unraveled, and we will talk about that in uh more detail but i just want to reiterate for all the listeners of the show that you know cryptocurrency is very speculative and the vast majority of projects are essentially just scams as this one uh was so you know (laughs) do your own research don't invest more than you can afford to lose and if you need you know i'm sorry if you've lost a lot of money in 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 ust um really you know that's that's just horrible but uh jet and i did an episode about with some bear market advice tips that also had some advice and we'll we'll link to that episode so people who are like wow or even if it didn't you know impact them directly but at least everybody else has got a secondhand view of like things can go south pretty uh pretty quickly and you want to have a have a plan for that anyway we we will talk about that but usd 205 dollars per bch uh, at the moment, and one PDC by the 146 BCH. So definitely not doing uh, good there. But what do you know, you can't do much about that. So Jenny, everyone on the show gets to talk about the price. And obviously, like you say, maybe price is not the most interesting thing, or as Roger Vere would say, the, it's the least interesting thing about Mm. bitcoin but everybody is still impacted by the by the price in some sense how do you handle this sort of volatility and the investing aspect and do you speculate in multiple coins or do you have like you know favorites do you go hodling for the long term how how do you handle like the actual financial aspects of, of crypto
3: yeah really interesting question um i like to keep my life simple in this regard so i'm pretty much a maximalist uh it's for me, Bitcoin on a long-term horizon, it is very tempting to get in on a lot of these different coins. And I think when I first started, um, I certainly you know looked around, read around a little bit. But at the moment, I am mostly all in on Bitcoin. And um, I think with these sort of price swings as well, <laughs> going with the, you know, the slogan with uh, buying the dip. So I'm, I'm seeing this as, uh, yeah, more or less, a, a, more of an opportunity at the moment.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's truly the case that, you know, in crypto, everything is just amped up 100x, right? So when gambling in the altcoins is good, it's really, really good. And everybody seems like a genius. And then when yeah, it's bad, yeah. it's really, really bad. And everybody who's not involved kind of is right. pretty clad.
3: <laughs> and I was told this even, um, you know, from the very beginning that uh, you will go through it at some point if you've been in the space long enough that you'll experience one of these where you know you'll dabble and maybe you'll be burned and then you know you'll, you'll you'll learn your lesson um and I think even with this with what happened this week I mean I think it drew into my mind at least you know some of the things that I didn't even question like stable coins which I thought were totally safe USDT, USDC, etc. And suddenly now you realize, okay, well, what does a peg actually mean? Just because, uh, you know, the currency is a coin is called, it's, you know, a perfect peg doesn't actually necessarily guarantee anything. And so um, I think there are different sort of illusions of security that people come into this have. And it's, it takes events like this to remind you that there is a lot of risk still involved. We, even with Bitcoin, I know that there's a, a lot of dialogue around the inevitability of bitcoin but at the end of the day um you know talking to some of these core developers listening to you know what what people talk about it's a technology it is highly unlikely uh that you know this thing is going to work out in exactly the way that we say it will and that this is going to hold true at the course of time so i think just having that kind of awareness of what we're dealing with here like nothing is inevitable um don't get too comfortable if you're going to play with these different coins you should expect at some point one of them you know might uh, something like this might happen right
0: yeah and it could just blow up and definitely yeah i mean if you still have some faith in uh USDT, I'm going to have to link you to the CoffeeZilla documentary where he goes into a bit of that and just that's a giant... I, I took thing,
3: out right? all my USDT this week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's good. That's good. All right. Well, at least yeah, some, yeah. some some good c- comes out of these uh, scenarios and that that is that is the classic cryptocurrency
1: uh, experience, the trial by mm-hmm. fire, you know?
3: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Do you mind if I hop in and ask a question real quick? Go ahead. So you had mentioned that there... Like there's still this massive risk and we don't know if it's going to end up how we kind of expect it to end up. But what do you think yeah. uh, the end goal is for you?
3: The end goal, do you mean in terms of my, um, where I want this to go? And yeah, like your experience with, so
1: with cryptocurrency. What would you like, yeah. like your day-to-day mm. involvement with crypto to look like?
3: Mm. I mean, again, so just to keep it simple, I think I would like to see a world where Bitcoin, of course, rises to more prominence, that this is something that a lot of people around the world have access to, that it provides an alternative form of, uh, let's just say it's a store of value um, that is uncensorable. And um, we'll get into some of this stuff. For me, you know, it would be holding like a vast chunk of my, um, my personal wealth, personal property in Bitcoin and just kind of being comfortable with that. I think it would be i mean i'm not of the band camp that says this is the only thing like most maxis will say you know it's bitcoin or nothing i I don't think i'm quite there i think there is probably space for other use cases that we might not have fully seen proof of yet so i'm totally open to that being the case and if there's anything compelling there then sure maybe i will you know i'll enter that space uh but for me i don't think that a lot of these you know all of these coins at, at some point in the future i think we'll see um at least they won't rise to the sort of prominence that we see them do now okay
0: yeah there's a lot to be said and it's a very it's a very fine uh discussion when it comes to this because i'm sort of of the opinion on you know and have been uh explaining it sort of slowly on the show i guess that you know, crypto is basically a winner take most kind of phenomenon mm. right so saying there's only going to be one coin and everything else is going to be obliterated is obviously wrong because there's always going to be you know experimentation around the edges and stuff but on the other hand money is probably you know the strongest network effect yeah. in the world uh you know because once two people are trading something it takes a lot as the whole history of crypto has proved yeah to get them to switch to, to something else because first you've got to break it on one end, then you got to break it on the other end, and then that's got to, you know, ripple through the whole economy just with great pain mm. at every single step, right? So the people often are confused when they come to cryptocurrency and they find that cryptocurrency is super tribal, mm. right? That people yeah. are very, you know, set on their coin or some other coin. But it's actually very logical because uh, not only are people financially invested in their coin, and often emotionally invested, and sometimes their careers or other things are yeah. also invested. Yeah. So there's a ton of investment. But on top of that, everybody in crypto does somewhat understand that there is, uh, you know, a, a trade-off. Like yeah. you can't one coin if, if it really gets on a run and really takes off, it'll just crush everything else. You know. Out of, out of the end. So what that means is that every coin's community has to have the mentality of we're go- we're going to number one. And if your coin doesn't have the mentality of we're going to number one, you've kind of already lost before you've started yeah. because mm-hmm. you're competing against communities where that is what they're they're trying to do. And then that obviously creates the tensions, like classically, you know, between bdc and ETH and ETH are trying to be like we're going to in you and BTC. <laughs> no, you're not. You know, this back and forth, right? And there at the moment, there's there is a place. For both and there probably will be in the, mm. in the future but there's nothing to say that the majority of the world is going to have some shifting array of 20 different coins that they're using like that's how fiat currencies work every every country basically has their own currency yeah in a yeah. crypto world that's not as likely maybe I don't exactly
3: understand. right i was i was gonna say that because i hear that argument a lot you know just like in the fiat world we have all these different currencies in different states but i think that is exactly the point which is that those fiat currencies exist in different forms because they're so linked to the state. But in, in a world where you know, a currency, there is no difference between someone here using you know, Bitcoin in, in the UK versus someone transacting in Afghanistan, then that kind of, um, yeah, I, I, I guess the, the need to have that kind of demarcation is gone. So what are the forces that drive the need to have multiple currencies in a world like that, where it's instant you know, transactions across space and time?
0: That's right. And the the idea, I guess, at least the supposition of, of cryptocurrency is that a world on one money would be a lot better because uh, once you remove, firstly, all that currency uh, friction of people changing money at airports and daily you know, speculation mm, on mm. F, you know, foreign exchange uh, markets and all that, once you get rid of all that, uh, obviously, it requires that you not have a government involves just because the majority of the world is never ever going to buy in on something that is politically biased it's just even the u.s dollar yeah. as much as it is the global reserve currency and all that at the moment you still don't have you know russia and china are not going to agree to use that as the money because they know the the USD has their finger on the on the button right they're gonna obviously have their alternatives and there's no world in which the all 7 billion people are going to be aligned enough to agree on something unless that thing is, is neutral, right? Like, I guess mm-hmm. like the internet or, or something like that it has to be something truly yeah. that doesn't yeah. privilege anyone over, over yeah. others.
3: And, and that brings up a good point around To what extent? I mean, maybe there will be a case for currencies that exist other than the dominant forms because a nation state refuses to allow its citizens to, you know, join the adoption train. So if you're talking CBDCs and things like that, I can see at least a transitory world where, you know, you might have certain regions of the world say, we don't want to participate in this. We're going to have our own currency. Um, and, And I think that would be interesting to see how that plays out and how effective that is.
0: Yeah. I mean I yeah I'm sort of of the view that people people overestimate the risk of that I think because the reality is that yeah the strong network of effect of money cuts both ways so when it's small it's very hard to get going but then once it's big it's very hard to deny and uh, certain countries can't ban Bitcoin or ban crypto in so much as they can ban themselves. So if you want to be banned off Bitcoin and trying to like lock off all yeah. your citizens, or you know you want to be the North Korea of crypto or whatever, well, good luck with that. As the rest of the world is just trading it and everybody's loving it and having a great time and setting aside all the ponzi yeah. scheming stuff that we talked about once you get real trade real commerce happening in cryptocurrency then that actually does generate like a positive sum uh, effect of people c- cooperating at scale and that's just going to be amazing and anybody who doesn't want to be involved is, is just going to be left out and that's a crucial uh, understanding that people need to have when they when they flick on to cryptocurrency is just essentially the idea that it's irresistible or or undeniable Mm. because there's still, you know, billions of people in the world who don't know or don't care or are actively saying, no, I hate cryptocurrency. I find it, you know, perpetually amusing, like people, you know, crypto skeptics and whatever. And it's like, you just don't understand. It may be in, Five years or in 10 years or in 20 years but there will come a point where every person you know will not want to will not bother to trade fiat currency with you that that crypto will be the only option and at that point you can still be raging and screaming at the clouds but at a certain point you're going to discover you're just the last one in the in the room in your angry little corner while everybody's in the other corner you know
3: yeah you won't have a choice um and that goes to sort of the remnant idea which we will get into later (laughs)
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, let's crack on so we can get on to some of these main topics just quickly. We check in every week on the uh, stats of the transactions. So uh, BTC still capped at about 300K as it has been for the last five years, not really doing anything exciting there. BCH has been slowly uh, ticking up, been uh, hitting the, in the 55 to 60K range. So you'd love to see that. And also then the sent-in USD for BDC has been going nuts, which I would personally say is actually quite bearish um, because when there's a lot of activity on the chain, that means everybody's getting excited and that's either for a good or a bad reason, right? So either the price is skyrocketing as everybody tries to pump more and more money around or they uh, are kind of throwing money around because they're prepping to to kind of sell out so the fact that we're not in a big moment of media excitement and euphoria and everything like that means that i take these uh on-chain signals to kind of say we're going to continue to be in a bit of a bearish slide uh as i've been saying for the last you know six months or more on this show but all that is to say, uh, Jamie, that we just like the price I ask every guest on this show, do they put much faith in on chain metrics? Do they follow that regularly? Some people really like to follow, you know, the miners. Some people really like to follow the exchange inflows and outflows. Some people don't care at all about any of this. Some people think it's a bunch of voodoo. Some people it's a religion. Uh, where do you stand on kind of crypto analytics like this?
3: Yeah. No, I think it's super cool. I, I personally don't follow it, but I sometimes get the, you know, really high level synthesized views of this stuff. And I think it is relevant, but um no, I don't have a lot to comment on.
0: Yeah, fair fair enough. Definitely. It's it's different for every guest. Someday someday I should definitely have a guest who is an expert in all mm. this stuff because I've never had a somebody on who was on chain <laughs> metrics uh like willy woo is like the the classic uh guy who did that but i yeah i'm a bit skeptical of a lot of sort of similar and will clemente these kind of guys who do this sort of mm. content because a lot of the time they're i feel like they're, they're they've got the narrative they want to sell and then they yeah. find the stats to back it up it's kind of a confirmation bias yeah. type of thing rather yeah. than i i don't trust them to see the signals as being not what they want and not finding you know mm. subconsciously mm. or consciously some way to kind of rationalize and i see uh, yeah
3: so i i way. do i mean I've, I've looked at some of the reports from um arcane and also um Archambest, um where what i'm interested in more is what the on-chain analysis is so, is saying about people's behaviors and who is coming in and out so the fact that you know, I can't remember the exact percentage now, but there's a huge chunk of people whose, you know, bitcoins have not moved in 18 plus months, right? So that you have this sort of body of people who are probably characterized as just, you know, holding for the long term. And then also, what are, what does it say about institutional money coming in? Is that of the reason why you're seeing much more of this like correlation between crypto and like classic um, the stock market these days where in the past there was less of that sort of parallel so i think that sort of stuff is interesting to the extent that you can gauge those insights from what's happening
0: yeah that's a good point actually that on-chain metrics do there's a bit of a spectrum because there is on one hand Things like Coin Days Destroyed, which is uh, how long since you last moved the the coins, right? And also on-chain fees are quite hard to fake, right? Because if you want to be faking, you know, that you're spending all this money on-chain fees, well, you're literally costing yourself money to do it, right? Nobody thinks that Ethereum is faking the amount of Mm on-chain, you know, millions and millions of dollars of fees every day because who a you know that's just a price too high to pay to fake it it's an unfakeable signal which i guess is sort of you know proof of work that's the whole idea behind uh some of this stuff but then there are other metrics like you can have your on-chain transactions or you know on chains that have little utility where they could just spam it up with a bot and just make it look like oh well there's all this activity so yeah, yeah you know on-chain metrics are certainly not the the last word in what's going on but i just that's yeah, really interesting I, I, they're a bit mm. of a, a a starting point for the analysis so that's why we always talk about the price the nice. uh you know the transactions and the sending usd and then get into the actual <laughs> discussion because that's the <laughs> only way you can you can truly get to the get to the bottom of it all right okay first topic of the day is that today is may the 15th which means bitcoin cash upgraded about three mm-hmm. hours ago a little bit uh, maybe four hours ago the network uh, went underwent its upgrade. Uh, so, for those who don't know, Jenny, I don't know you might not be uh, familiar, but the essentially the community has slowly resolved onto this policy of basically once a year they have a planned hard fork upgrade, and the idea is that you have basically the first six months. Or even before that, of the year to you know hash out. Okay, we want to have these upgrades. Everybody's mm. got to agree on it. You know, it's all decentralized and messy as cryptocurrency mm-hmm. classically is. Uh, and then by about six months uh, before the the fork, which is in May today, um, then you know things all kind of lock in, and it gives time for the exchanges to upgrade, the node software to upgrade. Uh, you know all the different parts of the ecosystem to get on board if anybody has any last minute objections they can sort of raise it and all that sort of stuff right so because bch has had a hugely traumatic time with its upgrades being the most chain split crypto in history by a long Mm. way with the three chain splits all of which were essentially hostile forks right none of none of it was very um, you know uh, friendly uh, this process has been very hard won, but this year it seems to have gone swimmingly and as it seems to have been since the end of the last fork in uh, at the end of 2020. And yeah, it just, it went great. So the network now supports native introspection, which is this idea of allowing transactions to query about themselves, who spent it and that kind of thing. Uh, very similar to the CTV drama that is going on in BTC um right now but obviously it's already in on uh bch and everybody's uh yeah. confident in it uh and bigger integers as well so um the limits on for instance if you had a certain apps and you were trying to make scripts you know you could maybe only make them sized up to you know 10 bch size because the amount of bytes in the transaction would only allow a certain amount and you had to have all these workarounds for the lack of native introspection and so on um, but now you have uh now you just have bigger integers up to 64 bytes or 64, 64 bits it must be 64 bits. I think, um, so that, you know, that's all, that's all fine. And there was a stream that Satoshi's Angels, uh, ran earlier today. It was really great. Uh, it's linked there on the slide. I recommend anyone who's interested in BCH to go and check it out. There was a great array of different people. Roger Veer was on it, uh, for a bit um mark falzon made an announcement of a bitcoin cash 2022 conference uh is going to be in november in saint martin and then you had rolando bryson who's one of the ministers in the government of st martin and he's you know accepting bch for his salary and everything and it's all spreading around the island so he was on board and coordinating that you had uh, kim.com who i've previously criticized a bit on the show and still will for he's announced that he's going to be delivering these great applications but then he has sort of not delivered on his schedule well he gave a bit of an update and he said He's got these two um, projects. He's got one called Cash Rain, which he says is going to let people basically mass airdrop uh, BCH to people. So if you're a streamer or whatever, you can give you know everyone on your stream $5 of BCH, that kind of idea. Uh, and there was another one which was about, um, it's like profiting off of files. So the idea was that if you are a artist and you make a song, you can... Uh, collaborate with somebody else you make this song right and then you put it out and you set okay I'm going to make uh, you know the royalty scheme you know 50% to me 30% to my collaborator and 20% to the promoters and then promoters can come along sort of permissionlessly without your involvement and uh, put their own wallet address in somehow and then you know spread it off guys check out this new single from Justin Bieber or whatever And then uh, when people buy it via their referral link, essentially, then the money is just going on chain, you know, to you, to your collaborator and to the um, promoter as well. So this kind of economic incentive, it'll be interesting. Obviously he hasn't delivered yet. So I'll give him more props if he actually drops it and it all works as promised, but apparently there was, you know, beta testing and stuff uh, going on. And, you know, I mean, it sounds great because if anything, that's, where bch has has struggled has been in the, the both the marketing side and the uh commercial utility side like the technology is actually very solid and so is also is the community mm-hmm. very resilient very long-standing um so all those parts are quite uh strong the merchant adoption also you know pretty good relative to other cryptos but those incentives uh driving, you know, the the currency to new users have, have been a bit lacking. And yeah, there was, anyway, there was even more announcements and different like great stuff. So yeah, people Very can uh, check that out. Yeah. I, 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 I have a question
3: yeah. here, if I can. I could,
0: yeah, I'm genuinely ahead.
3: quite curious, you know, between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, where do yep. you see more, and maybe you're a bit biased on this, but where do you see yeah, of more of the, the innovation and the sort of you know, upgrades and so on happening? Well, Is there you a know, reason?
0: Yeah. yeah i mean bch essentially is just like flattening bdc like no question obviously i'm biased yeah. and you know uh you know take this with a grain of salt i mean you can ask somebody else and you know get their take too, right but it, it all it all goes back originally to the to the fork which is that the bdc side had basically have a regressive mentality right the idea was they sort of sold this lie essentially that hard forks are evil and bad for the network even though bitcoin had done hard forks before the the split you know with satoshi did some and gavin did some and it was all fine that's just how a cryptocurrency upgrades and instead they repackaged everything with it's this part is not exactly a lie it is it is true it is true in some sense that stability has value right that if it's reliable if it's not changing then people can put more faith in it right because they know in 20 years, Bitcoin BTC is still going to be Bitcoin BTC and Ethereum is going to be, uh, you know, who knows what, right? So you can't have that uh, stability and reliability over, mm. over time. But in at least in my view, they essentially, they, they didn't, you know, BCH is kind of splitting the difference, right? Where Bitcoin BTC people will say, look, if you have hard fork upgrades and you have these kind of things going on, then what's to stop people just changing the 21 million coin limit or what's to stop them, you know, doing any other kind of uh, shenanigans, who knows, will be Ethereum, you know, next week. If we start, uh, if we don't have like hard limits on, on what we're prepared to upgrade. Uh, whereas that's, that's not really true because the BCH community does do updates and they do add things and they do change things. But on the other hand, anything like changing the 21 million limit, or you know trying to Mm. add in more custodians or more like backdoors or whatever is going to get instantly wrecked by the community and that's been proven because there has literally been three separate cryptocurrency teams which have all been told to fork off because the bch community said we're not having that right they didn't want uh small blocks like bdc they didn't want craig wright and his you know shenanigans with bsv and they didn't want uh amori putting in a dev tax uh with eCash, and so all those they're all out and the bch community is still just chugging along with the with the white paper so having an idea that we're never going to upgrade anything just means you're you're guaranteed to get flattened in the in the long run um basically because you know the only constant is is change and the bbc community i think make a huge mistake of you know on a lot of fronts uh, in trying to say, look, we're digital gold, because the thing about gold is that it hasn't changed for 5,000 years. And that's true. And if you want to be gold, well, gold already exists. And even digital gold, is not really that exciting. The reason that we have cryptocurrency and it's called cryptocurrency, not digital gold is because it's a new category. And that new category plays by different rules. And the rules of crypto is that all your competitors are going to be upgrading and trying new things and innovating and, and whatever and the origins of maximalism which i I told you about when we uh met was the idea that bitcoin would be able to absorb innovation from all the other you know little uh side projects not this kind of stagnant if we never Mm, change mm. you know yeah yeah dogmatic view so yeah that's my my view
3: yeah and i I can absolutely see the merits in in some of what you're saying Um, the only pushback i would have is you know around the whole like likening it to digital gold and mm. how much innovation really is needed if because at the end of the day what you're trying to create is a better form of money right something and and in order to do that it just needs to work and if the bitcoin community believes it's already found the most critical elements that's fundamental in the protocol and it works there's in in a sense i can understand you know there's a huge reluctance to innovate in a way that could compromise those things, because what you really want to do is defend to the death some of those elements. And rather than trying to turn it into something that tries to you know, fit a million other use cases, which is a criticism we get a lot, um, whether it's Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash, you know, does it have smart contracts, does it have, but it doesn't need to. Um, I think that's kind of the argument that I would push a little bit is, it doesn't need to be everything because to be a better form of money is already you know, achieving a lot. And I guess there's, that's the difference between, you know, innovation where you're trying to fundamentally make it something else versus innovation that is taking the core elements of the protocol and making that better somehow, you know, less susceptible to attack, more scalable, I guess, all of those things, right? Um, so probably just like to separate out what, what we mean
1: by innovating on, on that network. Can I help yeah. in here Jet, for a second? Yeah, 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 yeah. Go on. Okay. So, uh... I think BTC proved it cannot be better money because uh, five years ago it cost 70 goddamn dollars to make a transaction. That prices out not 60% of the world, like mm. 70, 75% of the world. Uh, and then to go to Layer 2s or non-custodial solutions, we're going back to the third-party intermediaries. <laughs> we're, we're denying what the abstract of the Bitcoin white paper says. And then, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think. I, I mean, I haven't looked into this myself, but just the math of like, mm-hmm. if we wanted to onboard everyone to Lightning Network. Uh, even the, like even their own white paper says they need over gigabyte blocks. Like they need multiple. 133
0: gigabyte. megabytes. You basically need 133 megabyte blocks on Lightning Network if o- the only thing is opening channels from here for the next you know 50 years or whatever it is. Like you with one megabyte blocks, it takes mm. over 80 years. Like it's never gonna ever happen. If that's with no channel closures, no disputes, no other side chains, no regular on transaction, nothing. Right. Yeah, so yeah. Mm, you know. Mm so yeah yeah yeah.
3: definitely not saying that lightning has fixed everything or that it doesn't have its own challenges um Mm. i guess it's just more on a fundamental level sort of bitcoin doesn't need to innovate beyond it's and i I don't think you're saying that either i think we're on the same page there
1: i think we all want to see bitcoin as money right i think that's and this is part of why i asked that question in the beginning of like what that end goal is but i think how we use money is also different, right? And we need to be able to account for everyone's different use cases rather than, I mean, right now, the only people that are buying BTC that I'm aware of are like middle-class people. They're not, it's not Mm. becoming a reserve currency for the world. It's not becoming a savings account for people. It's definitely not being a store of value, especially in market times like this. So yeah, there either needs to mm. be a new narrative creation for the BTC camp, in my mind, or just an admission of like, hey, we want this because uh, sometimes it increases our fiat dollars. And we're not Bitcoin maximalists. We're fiat maximalists. We want more fiat dollars for our Bitcoin the day we decide to cash out.
0: I mean, yeah, like, so, Jenny, I think one thing that, you know, you might find really interesting and I think is going to be a a big... uh. You know, not problem necessarily, but there's going to be a huge sort of uh, cognitive dissonance going on as BCH sort of gets its way uh, back into the mix a little bit more. It's that to me, uh, you know, the Bitcoin and and Bitcoin cash communities, they obviously they share a history and all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And they're now like diverging over time as they go uh, going there their separate ways but i think of it like one of those superhero shows or anything you know there's always the episode where the main character who has all their like skills and abilities and whatever but then they meet their like long lost Twin or whatever, who's been like on a it's different usually park. an evil
3: twin, though. Exactly,
0: yeah. And but they and they and they like are battling their twin or whatever, and then they discover that the twin has like some weird moves that they mm. they don't know, and they're like, what? <laughs> like they they use all their moves, and the twin can do those moves, but then the twin comes up with like some other moves, and they're like, I've never seen that before, and they get a bit uh, wrecked. Right? That's essentially oh, what's going on with my camera. That's essentially um, what the you know, what the BCH community is like, is that they do honestly have all a lot of those same ideas that you would recognize from the Bitcoin BDC community. Yes, we're not going to compromise on the mission of money. No, we're not just going to throw in whatever random garbage. We're not turning into Solana. It is going to be very high priority on decentralization, right? But on the other hand, it has also, it's not so dogmatic about we're never changing Mm -hmm. anything. Instead, it is like we are going to absorb innovation and improvements we are going to look at as hardware gets better are we gonna you mm. know able to push the the boundaries a little bit uh further so for instance i you know i don't i don't know if you know but there's so there's smart BCH, right so the bitcoin cash community has made a side chain which is uh the evm it's uh, ethereum compatible essentially and is a bunch more scalable than ethereum like to begin with mm. but it's it's backed by the proof of work of the bitcoin mining network you know that's another thing Is like bitcoiners versus the world will you know there'll be this whole proof of work versus proof of stake or whatever other like garbage you know you can come up with well mm. the bitcoin cash community is is still in the bitcoin camp on that like it's proof of work we're not changing it to your other yeah you know yeah. random as uh system you know that's like the, the the foundations of this but on the other hand okay well why don't we just have an evm chain and we'll just back it with the Proof of work uh, mining, so it's it's a yeah. I think there's going to be loads yeah, of people yeah, who are going to discover yeah. the BCH community, and you kind of mm. need to relearn a lot of what you, you know, or unlearn a lot of what you learned because a lot of it is right. You know, the 21 million coin limit, deflationary, blah 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 blah. But on the other hand, it's, some of it is also wrong, at least from a BCH yeah, perspective.
3: yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, Jeremy, because every time I talk to you, I'm like, he's got a point here. Like <laughs> it's, it's it's very it's compelling, right? What you say, all these things they i mean logically it all makes sense but then i walk away and i look at just the current state of play and as you referenced at the beginning i mean bitcoin has just surpassed in visibility it's in a lot of ways it feels like the community feels this whole block size conversation has been settled and you know where where we found something it's not perfect like lightning it has got its own problems that people are focusing on the next problems to solve and in a way it's almost like well to what extent has that train already left the station and you know i i'm not saying it's impossible of course like we have no idea what will happen and i do think you know for sure like it seems like you're fighting the right kind of battles based on when you know all, all of the um original intent behind you know bitcoin story but it's almost like, well, where would the resources be better? Like, should we just take the one that looks like it's got the biggest shot and try to make that the best? Yeah,
2: Do you know what I mean? A- yeah. Jet's like, <laughs> like, Jet's like I falling make it super out of controversial. his chair. Yeah, no, no,
0: it's good. You can be controversial <laughs> on this show. But you know what Jet is about to tell you? He's about to tell you that BCH is the one with the best shot. That's the whole uh, split, you know? It's yeah, like yeah. when I, you know, when I to- uh, told you when we we met and you said, oh, you think Bitcoin Cash is Bitcoin? And I'm like, yes, uh-huh. to me it is because yeah. Bitcoin BDC stopped being Bitcoin. And yes, they got the brand name. Yeah. And the, the most amusing thing about it is that not only has BCH been absolutely uh, crushed in the market, I'm not saying that, that's definitely a factor that definitely shows that we've got a lot of work to do and we need to turn the ship around. But the funny thing about it is that Bitcoin BDC people will spend all day telling you that the market has spoken and it's over. But there's two reasons that that is very clearly like a lie mm. on its face. So the first is, well, the market never sp- stops speaking. If the market had spoken USD is the biggest currency in the world, and you may as well give up right now, guys. Like your own argument cuts against you if you just think about it for more than two seconds. But the other reason is that BCH is not gone. As much as they want to say that we're gone, you can post Roger Vere came back to Twitter and made one post. He's immediately got millions of people in his comments. It's over it's over when you don't need to tell someone it's over, right? If you're still trying to tell them it's over, it's mm. over, stop, go away. It's clearly not over. You're still there telling them to just stop, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- mm-hmm. Like they're still on Peter McCormick's mm. podcast and everything in the Bitcoin BTC community. They all, they even have a special name. They call it Bcash. Why? They don't have a... a a troll name for ethereum they don't have a troll name for all these other coins they just call them shit coins but bcash is special and they will go out of their way to tell you that it's over and it's dead and nobody cares about it and nobody is more (laughs) emphatic about the need to talk about bitcoin cash than people who say it's dead you know there are dead coins but they're dead nobody talks about them but bitcoin cash is still here and they cannot get rid of us because Mm. it's that twin thing i said you know any other if we were so centralized and we were just a couple of people and if it was all some scheme of roger via it's been four and a half years guys we're not here in fact we just got in a mega upgrade and like we've got a conference coming up explain mm. that like that that you can't the only thing to do is to learn the history and how did things go down and yeah yep, and yep. so yep. forth you know
1: so i have an obligatory uh, bitcoin will be cash <laughs> Uh, statement. Kind of vague cash. Go for it. <laughs> and um I would also I've I've made this argument a couple times recently uh, with Bitcoin maximalists where um I think that the market is fraudulent. I want USDT to absolutely collapse. I do not think the price of BTC would be able to sustain itself without new Tethers being injected into the ecosystem. And we know that, what, since like 2020, that Tether uh, has lied to the SEC. They've never uh, been fully backed or, or commercially um you know fully audited they've never shown either their q1 or you know people are excited for their q2 uh 2022 stuff but it's we're, we're not going to see it for quite a long time and even if they do release it it probably won't be real numbers and this and that and so like i don't think the genuine price of btc is actually more than like four grand four and a half grand i think even with all of the community it's um largely made up of uh bad market actors and commercial money and uh Yeah, I think people thought Luna was bad. Oh, man. You wait.
0: Let's get (laughs) on to that then. That's that's the next topic of the day. So we can get everybody's hot takes on this, but it's quite topical, right? So this week we've had the UST Luna implosion. So for everybody who doesn't know, I've got to give a bit of a a summary. And so about, well, firstly, about a year ago, uh, almost exactly in June of last year I think I made a video called the cryptocalypse which was basically about what jet is talking about one day all this shit with all the chickens are going to come home to roost with tether and it's going to blow up and it's going to be exactly like what we just saw with luna essentially because it's funny you were talking about uh stable coins because stable coins are such an interesting Uh, element of the of the market right because there's basically two ways you can do a a stable coin neither of which is really super viable in the long term so the first one is that you have a certain amount of um, tokens but you back them with real us dollars in a bank account right that's great and fine but the obvious problem is you've introduced counterparty risk which is that the person behind the the coin you know how do you make sure they still have the dollars that they say they do and how does somebody not get their fingers in there and the usual shenanigans <laughs> take place and yeah. it's a disaster like usdt is uh, right now so that's one model the other model is you say okay we're going to collateralize it with all this other uh like stuff but the question is what are you going to collateralize it uh with so you can collateralize it with bitcoin or you can over collateralize you can have 400% reserves or whatever but at the end of the day that always essentially means the whole coin is essentially speculating on something else trying to sort of you know like it doesn't make sense like the whole point of a stable coin is supposed to be stable and it's supposed to be redeemable for dollars ultimately the only thing that has the value of one dollar is one dollar right because even stable coins they fluctuate up and down because people on the downside either take in these uh custodian risks or people on the upside say well this is more useful than a dollar because i can use it to yield farm on anchor or whatever right so anyway that's my quick uh spiel about stable coins but ust luna was this particularly egregious example um where this guy called do Kwan, uh got himself on top of the world by this idea that look if we have uh, a one dollar stablecoin will pair it with a regular crypto which is super volatile so basically as people buy into the regular uh crypto which was called Terra but had the symbol lunar very confusingly it would uh the price of that would go up and then you could burn one dollar of that to get one dollar of stable ust and then uh the ust you could cash back out for the lunar you could burn your ust to get a lunar so that's at a simple explanation that sounds like genius well the market has created one dollar of value over here so we can exchange it for uh, the other one here and the price of ust will stay stable because arbitrages if the price is going up or down they'll either burn or create more ust to get it back to one dollar it all seems great right but the problem is that the free market giving one dollar of value to the lunar tokens there's no guarantee that that is uh is is maintained because as crypto uh, market caps there's a very big divergence between the actual amount of money something is worth under pressure and how much something is worth nominally right so if i make a new token jeremy token and i give it a supply of one billion and then i sell it to jet for one dollar well we've just created a billion dollar cryptocurrency took five seconds the only problem is it's not like we can sustain a billion dollars of sales in fact the first person to sell is going to crash the price to zero so do Kwon thought he was a genius at making up this system, but really he just made a hyper-accelerated Ponzi scheme that operated at twice the uh, like it, It's self-fulfilling, right? Because as people are buying uh, Luna to mint UST, that pumps the price of the Luna, which gets more people excited and it just spirals up and up and up. But the exact same mechanism works on the way down, which is once people start cashing out of UST, the same time as they start selling the lunar then it just gets worse and worse for everyone involved as the people at the end try and uh keep get their you know get their money before it's all gone to zero so we've seen this huge rise in lunar uh token which was over you know a hundred and something uh dollars and then on the may the 5th it was 86 dollars and in the last you know, week or so uh, or in the week or so to May 11, it just hit a cliff and it just fell down to 0.01 cents. So the whole thing just went completely bust. And anybody who was paying attention to my channel, hopefully you would have got out ahead of time because I was on a podcast with Joel Valenzuela two or three days before it happened, calling this out as a massive Ponzi scheme. So hopefully anybody who listened to that um, would be okay. But one interesting wrinkle uh, to the the story before I get uh, Jenny and Jets, you know, takes is that there was this element where do kwan who's now feeling like he's the king of the world because his coin is going insane and he's getting really rich thought you know what i'm going to make some mint moves and i'm going to back my token with uh, bitcoin btc which is obviously a, yet again another thing that if you think about it for more than two seconds makes no sense if the stable uh, mechanic works. Why do you need it to be backed by anything? And if it doesn't work, well, then you've got bigger problems than whether or not you've got Bitcoin PDC to back. And you're essentially turning the whole thing into a leverage bet on Bitcoin, but with also custodian risk, similar to the way that Michael Saylor has turned MicroStrategy stock into a proxy with extra custodial risk bet on the price of uh, leveraged Bitcoin, right? So he purchased all his BTC to back the coin, but then once things started to fall apart, he, of course, had to sell them, which exacerbated the problem because that depressed the price of the whole crypto market, which is also bad for Luna. And everything kind of came apart. And unfortunately, there's been multiple reports of of people who have killed themselves over this, basically, because their entire net worth just went boom to zero. And it turns out that a lot of people in Luna didn't understand any of what I've just explained. And they had put their entire net worth on it, which was because of this thing called the Anchor Protocol, which was giving a 20% yield. Again, where did the money come from that? Well, it was just funded more Ponzi scheming. You're basically taking money from people who'd invested in Luna to pay themselves back out of their own money the yield returns and not be able to give them their principal back at the end so it's just this huge disaster and the whole thing about it is that we're going to end up with the same thing happening with tether at some point so i just want everybody on this sh- who's listening to the show right now to be aware that at, at one day we're going to have that exact uh, same thing but that's my uh summary of all uh what has happened jenny what, what did you think of all of this
3: it's nuts. It's really, <laughs> it's insane. But I mean, part of, you know, when you're saying all of this, part of me is thinking, how can you not smell the kind of Ponzi scheme nature of this? When even when you hear something like 20% yield, right? Like, where is that coming from? If it sounds too good to be true, there's probably something fishy going on. And I, I, like, I'm just curious, you know, is it is it just um, people are hoping that they kind of know that, this might collapse at some point, but we're hoping to go for the ride and pull out before it does. And I genuinely kind of curious what the mindset is or because it feels like some of the stuff um, it's sort of inevitable at some point in time, like you say with Tether even that this is not going to go the way that it proclaims it will. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, I think a lot of the people who were invested were, just naive that's that's the first thing but i think there's also just a heavy element of people want to believe their own story and like yeah. exactly like we were just talking about before with the bdc and bch price where the momentum is going is by itself convincing to a lot of people just because that seems to be what everybody's doing well they'll pile into it so luna was on this huge tear it was up from the you know unknowns of the crypto market and it got it was at number nine before it uh, got destroyed now number nine on the crypto market cap is a lot of free marketing just by nature of being number nine and people somehow people don't learn their lesson like just because it's in the top 10 on coin market cap does not mean it is in any way a solid project actually it just means they're the best ponzi schema this week and anybody who's been around long enough sees the top 10 change over and over and over as coins like luna getting into the top 10 mm. you know you can look at the top 10 from uh, 2017 or from 2015 or 2013 and you pretty quickly How get many of the those idea are less, right? yeah. exactly. Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're real projects. XRP mm. is still real, but it's a scam. Uh, and you know, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, even Dogecoin, they've got at least some sort of solid back. Once again, mostly proof of work coins, right, with an actual network of miners, with devs, with a community, with all this you know stuff that you're not going to find in the latest uh, hype of the hype of the day and just yeah i've got to kind of call him out a little bit here colin talks crypto who i've been you know had some exchanges with of uh, over our varying you know views on the market and it's he was you know mad celebrating oh look i've bought all this luna and it's rocketed up i told everyone it's this genius innovation mm. but really you just got to wait till the you know ponzi scheme comes undone and then you know he's been massively wrecked and uh anybody who listened to his advice and who didn't get out first is also wrecked i mean this whole anchor thing was you had to like lock up your money for whatever it was like three weeks or something like that and that that just leaves you so exposed that even once things start to turn bad and everybody's rushing for the exit you're just fucked you can't you can't sell cryptographically let alone you know if you can get the right market market price so we're going to see more and more schemes of this and this is why i'm skeptical of all uh stable coins the best one seems to be um usdc i still also have a lot of doubts about that but that seems to be the most reliable one and Dai is the best algorithmic one from my very limited understanding but neither of those i'm i'm very convinced uh about what i am more convinced about and what is going to be really good is that this bch upgrade now means the any hedge guys are going to be able to uh flesh out the contracts so that essentially there's going to be a BCH backed uh stablecoin where what happens is uh somebody wants to speculate on the price of crypto don't they always right somebody thinks BCH is going to go up and so they are prepared to bet on that like going long on an exchange and somebody else wants to lock their value at a stable amount of money they want a stable coin right so the way you just pair those two people up which is that i want to leverage 5x uh, bet on uh, bch and somebody else wants their usd value to stay constant so once those two people meet uh, basically if the price goes up they're paying me and if the price goes down i'm paying them so their usd value is always stable and i'm getting to gamble at a much higher uh, frequency so now that any hedge guys have have actually built this and once uh, and it's all decentralized it all operates with on-chain contracts and everything like that and now um yeah. uh and you can even get interest if you're on the right or the wrong side of the the trade so there's even an incentive to hold your your money in in one or the other and now with this upgrade they i'm sure they're going to be rolling out some good stuff over the next year too which is that now once you have that uh decentralized uh marketplace going of people uh, gambling on the upside or locking their USD um, value is you'll then be able to have uh, like you can even trade those so now Jet and I can trade a locked USD amount of value directly on the Bitcoin cash network where we're actually only transacting Bitcoin cash behind the scenes but it's still a, a locked amount and so that's then essentially you're passing around contracts uh, for how much locked uh, locked value there is and Once that gets integrated with the point of sales stuff and merchants only wanting USD and stuff, all this, it'll just be like this whole Bitcoin cash powered economy that can just seamlessly run while people slowly transition over from uh, USD, which they're still used to. And then if they ever want some BCH, all they do is they just slowly ramp down the percentage of their contract until it gets to zero. And then they're in the Bitcoin cash economy and, you know, fully exposed to the volatility, but they can have 50% volatility or 30% or, hundred percent it's it's up to them and all done trustlessly on chain, no custodians, nothing. So that's going to be absolutely uh, mega.
3: Right, interesting.
0: Hmm. All right, cool next topic then I, I don't know unless you have anything <laughs> more you want to say about that or uh, we can no,
3: no, I think um, we don't ever want to talk about Luna again, probably.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, cautionary well, uh cautionary exactly. tale. Besides, historical
3: sense. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Historical reminder uh, yeah. to everyone. Exactly. All right. Bitcoin in El Salvador. Mm. So I wanted to get your take on this because when we talked the other day, you told me you'd been to El Salvador and you'd yes. seen how it was going and everything. And uh we, we didn't get much of a chance to really uh talk through it. And this is a, a perfect time to do it. And the specific mm. uh question you know that i want to put to you because i think you might be more of a neutral middle ground observer is that you we've there's been reports of you know max kaiser or peter mccormack or whoever goes to el salvador and says it's great we're spreading adoption yeah. everyone's yeah. loving it you know mm. they're getting the idea financial freedom yada yada they're basically talking their own mm-hmm. book and then on the other side you know people who are not as uh, invested in selling that narrative people like mark falzon did an excellent documentary the dark side of bitcoin in el salvador uh the nudge and various other people who are more on this sort of Mm. community uh non-bdc side you know who are in like the the bitcoin cash or the dash community have gone over there to check it out and and give sort of their take and their take is often very very different which is like okay, there is some, you know, it is starting to happen a little bit, but there's also mm-hmm. a lot of problems. Obviously, a lot of people don't really agree with how Naive kelly runs this country. In the In the first place, there's been anti-Bitcoin protests. People don't really understand, you know, what's happening or not happening. The wallet numbers are inflated because people just cashed out their $30 that the government gave them for free and forgot about it. All of this stuff, right? It's very hard to get a sense of is there actually a good amount of uh, groundswell adoption? So you've been there. Tell us, how was it?
3: Yeah, it's a um, really interesting topic, and I noticed you talked about Bakili dropping his laser eyes as well, which is
0: well. Now the price is down. He's right. You it could it's very to be a genius.
3: Yeah, you know. he's uh, probably copping a lot of flack, You know, so probably just sensitively removing the laser eyes for now. I think, okay, I'll start with maybe just, you know, factually the kind of experience on the ground, right? So when I was there, it was um, a couple of months after they'd first announced Bitcoin becoming legal tender. And it was when they had the sort of second, I guess it was a conference around adopting lightning. So the actual activity on Bitcoin beach was that you could go up to whether it was a bar or a you know, street store, uh, someone standing by the side of the road and pay with Bitcoin or, or over the lightning network. Um, or on chain, but pr- preferably over the Lightning Network. And it was, that that experience was very uniform. So um, around Bitcoin Beach, you absolutely could do that. And so I guess when, you know, when people who aren't so familiar with Bitcoin comment around how there isn't anywhere in the world where you can actually pay with this thing yet, I think El Salvador did show that no, in a sort of at least at that point in time, with the amount of Bitcoiners that were in town, everything worked very smoothly. I think with the questions around, you know, what's happening in terms of this, um, how widespread is the adoption in the country? How much of this is something that the citizens themselves wanted versus took the $30 incentive, as you say, and then sort of discarded? I think you probably wanna pry that apart a little bit because there's, on the one hand, um, you know, how much is it being used as an actual currency to transact day to day? And I think you're probably right there. There's a lot of reports around, first of all, the whole um, Shivo wallet, right, got a lot of criticism. But I think the criticism around that needs to be separated from around broader, like introducing Bitcoin, because there were problems with the art people's money disappeared, um, you, you know. So it, was, it, it made sense, right? And then also just talking about um, a population that generally, you know, low income they cannot handle that kind of volatility in the price so unless you're holding bitcoin for the long term you don't really want to transact with bitcoin on a daily basis and i think everyone you know very um it's sort of common sense that we we wouldn't want to we wouldn't expect necessarily to see bitcoin as a major form of payment right now that i think is a separate question to how many like how is bitcoin actually serving the country of el salvador so i think i read a start that you know when they introduced um this whole you know initiative with shivo and everything it was something like before that financial inclusion or people's access to financial system was like 23 percent and then in a matter of months right that had increased to 60 percent which was an effort that they'd attempted for years and not been able to make that kind of change so there has been some good of that and then you've got to look at also, I think, the bigger statement around, um, ex- uh, what do you call it, repatriate, oh, the word when you send money back, remittances, home, remittances not repatriations, goodness. <laughs> remittances, right? Like the, the majority of the benefit probably comes from that because there's something like $6 billion in remittances every year going into El Salvador. So like savings from Western Union alone is around, I think Bukele said it was around like $400 million, right? Something like almost 10%. Um, and that, that's huge and and i think they're very different narratives which all get bundled up and it's like it's very very easy to find criticisms in the space but i think it's also equally easy to find um you know call out some of the benefits that this whole process has has brought to el salvador
0: yeah i mean it's uh, obviously you cannot Sort of see from the BCH side, we we've got we've got a bit of both sides of the fence, right? On you're right, you're right. There's a lot of separate angles to this, which need, uh, you know, picking apart and and definitely, obviously, you know, we completely support. Or I I guess I can't yeah. speak for everyone. I just speak for myself. Like I support at least at least in theory the idea of the Bitcoin BTC community having a go. I think they are, you know, obviously well intentioned. They are educating people. Obviously, I agree. You know the use case for remittances and stuff is is amazing uh the 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 sort of rub I guess for the BCH community is that they're they also especially historically while the bitcoin btc community were store of value hodl your coins the bch community had been guys it's got to be a functional economy and that's been the focus kind of since day one so you've got the bitcoin cash city in Townsville, obviously in St. Kitts, uh and St. Martin's now. Uh, you know, there's actual substantial on the ground adoption and, and people using it, but it's been done in the exact opposite way instead of convincing a you know, the government uh, dictator, you know, this is what yep. we should do yep. and all that and kind of forcing it onto people and airdropping yep. funds to people who mm. don't understand all that. Instead, it's kind of the other way around, which is, okay, we're just going to go door to door and just convince merchants one by one and educate them. This is a private key. This is how you use it and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And that's mm. like, you know, very hard to to do um, as well. You know, it has its own pros and cons. 100%, uh, right. And, and
3: you could see that in El Salvador as well. Like a lot of mm. people were not yet at that level of financial literacy to understand what was happening, even the difference between an on-chain and an off-chain or, you know, the difference between Shivo wallet versus Bitcoin itself. So, um, but I think that's a process. And I think what something like this does is at least show to the world that it is possible to have Bitcoin used in a transactional sense whether or not right now at this point in time with the sort of price volatility that we see that that is a desirable thing for most citizens in a lower income country to, to actually use different question right but um, it's I think as a use case as a first uh, six, sort of a first story out there it paves the way to sort of more countries um, trying out this sort of thing
0: yeah and i mean the ironic part of it is for me (laughs) is that you you say like it's a first step and it's a proof of concept and all that and it kind of comes back to the whole reason for the split which is that you know from my perspective bitcoin bdc have had now five years to just blast off and just prove and spread bitcoin everywhere and here we are in 2022 and things that barely kind of scrappily happening in El Salvador, there was more Bitcoin adoption in the world probably in 2015 or in 2016. This was why at that time the momentum was ramping up massively. You know, Dell was taking it, Overstock was taking it, Microsoft was... Like starting to accept it, like Newegg started accepting it, like merchant adoption was on the rise. Um, you know, transactions were going up, everything like that. It was going great. It was fantastic, and everybody was loving it, right? And then obviously things degenerated into this uh, whole Mm. block size uh, civil war, which kind of stopped the momentum. But the point that the BCH side had at that time was okay, yeah, maybe you can do Lightning Network, but it's years away, you know, from being ready if you know, if it even is going to work at all, right? We don't know that, but what we do know right now is that Bitcoin's going great. You know, uh, hardware is not going to just crap out overnight. Like people are improving their storage space, which has continued happening. So let's just raise the blocks, even just a little bit and just keep the keep the train rolling. So as much as the Bitcoin PDC side feel like uh, we're sort of slowly starting hmm. to break through, when you look back at the opportunity cost of five years As to how far things have gotten, it's like a pittance compared to kind of what could have been. But that's a very hard uh, thing to explain and, and capture to people who weren't there and didn't see the momentum at the time or to see the fact that the Bitcoin Cash community has done, you know, an equally better Or, or, you know, similar enough uh, job in other places without any government intervention and on a fraction of the resources given, you know, like we talked about the difference in the price, the difference in the branding, the difference in the awareness, the difference in the media coverage. Do you have any prominent
3: examples of sort of where that's taken place?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I'll I'll send you some videos later, right? But you have, so you have the Bitcoin Cash City in uh, in Australia, so Townsville, and they literally have several hundred merchants and a bunch of people who live only on Bitcoin Cash. They don't have, or they don't use, you know, their fiat uh, bank accounts. Earlier, I'll, I'll, I've got some episodes in this yeah. podcast about it. I'll link you to that. And then more recently, there was um, in St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, obviously where Roger Ver is, and there's a bunch of other people. They've done the exact same thing. There's like hundreds of merchants at a local, uh, you know, shops and stuff, accepting it, and a circulating economy among among the locals, right? And now that's spreading to the other islands. So you have St. Martin, like I said, at the start of the show, one of the finance ministers there, he also, uh, you know, got involved and he's um, taking all his salary in Bitcoin Cash. And he's not doing that just because he likes Bitcoin Cash, but because all the merchants are accepting it so he can spend it. And uh, so that's why we're going to have a conference there, sort of like Bitcoin 2022. And ironically, now the Bitcoin cash community is starting to kick it up a gear in Florida where the BDC, uh, you know, 2022 conference was because Mark Falzon, he was there and he asked and he found a bunch of bloggers. Like, they don't even accept Bitcoin, you know, in places around around the conference. So I think he's going to just do a bit of an end run and just set up a bunch of uh merchants around there and build a little bitcoin cash economy and by the time everyone comes back for next year they're going to be like wait bitcoin cash is accepted everywhere not uh bitcoin (laughs) bdc so i mean like the and he's working with um you know some of the local government and stuff because they want to spread crypto adoption but the bitcoin cash community that that's their thing they're on the ground actually we want to create a peer-to-peer cash economy right there is none of this Hodl store of value, laser eyes—we're all getting ripped. That's there isn't any of that. People are like, we got to actually—it's a—it's an economy. We got to make an economy work. So, even being as under resourced as we are, relatively speaking, we're, we're still like making a, a practical dent. But these things don't sort of get a lot of visibility, which is part of the reason I started this podcast in the first place. But I—I I will send you some, uh you know. Examples yeah, I, that I think that they're
3: all very interesting um, use cases. Uh, sorry, examples you've given here. Is it is Bitcoin Cash not susceptible to the same issue though of price volatility to have that as something you know predominantly an economy run on something like Bitcoin Cash?
0: It, it is but there's there's two or three mitigating factors so the first one is that the bitcoin cash community because they are trying to make it work they encounter those pain points much more acutely like so obviously as has been happened with this lightning network and so on right it's easy if you're not trying to make an economy to say "Oh, it generally goes up in the long term everyone hodl and and and, and we'll be fine but the bitcoin cash community is Seeing that pain, and so they are like the any hedge stuff I was just telling you about. They do have to proactively make and deliver working solutions to this stuff because people are complaining to their face about it. And the second thing is, uh, what we'll see, or, or you know, the feedback that we get is the more you use it as a cash economy, the less uh, volatility is a problem, right? Because the thing about cash, and especially yeah, like somewhere like El Salvador in the uh, Caribbean or whatever. Is that people are living more day to day, right? So even though crypto is quite volatile, if I receive some Bitcoin cash today at a hundred dollars and I spend it tomorrow at $95, you know, over time, if I'm earning and spending, as that cycle sure. goes on, it's like a natural form of dollar cost averaging. So yeah. you do actually mitigate the volatility the more frequently you are you. And are you have, using I guess,
3: a less lesser share of people who are buying and selling large quantities more from an investment
0: mindset. And you also have people that are less worried about the volatility because instead of sitting at home uh, watching the price go up and down panicked about is my (sighs) money going to work or not? Instead, they can see like, okay, the price has gone down a little bit today. But I can spend it with this. It's an account. I can spend the money, right? The reason the Bitcoin BDC community gets so uh, worked up about volatility is because they don't actually use it. So they're just crossing their fingers and praying that it's going to go to the moon one day or it's going to crash and they're all going to be wrecked, right? Whereas, if like, how many Bitcoin BDC people? have not made a single on-chain transaction in the, lo- like we were talking about with those coins being like mm. locked up. Sure. Some of that is big investors who are just playing the long game, but there's also a portion of small investors who have no actual uh tangible touch with the network. If the fees went to a thousand dollars overnight, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even notice because they're just in their sure, zen, yeah. zen state. Right. Whereas the second that Bitcoin cash stops working, for payments fees go up or there's network congestion or like the upgrade we did today, if there'd been a problem or whatever, it would have been all over the whole community would have been screaming instantly because everybody's actually trying to pay for things with it, you know, uh, jet. Yeah.
1: Yeah, So. So, uh, there have, there's only been I think one or two occasions where I've ever sold, um, BCH for, Canadian dollars and that was in a situation where I uh, couldn't convince the person I was paying to accept Bitcoin Cash and it was a large enough sum that I was like come on um but the volatility... So, so I've been <clears throat> consistently buying Bitcoin Cash since 2017. And it's weird because I've always had the spend and replace narrative in my head. And I've never realized that I'm doing the BTC maxi stacking sats, sats right? So, uh, but the volatility for me has never once been a concern. Because I've always taken the dollars that I'm putting into Bitcoin Cash as gone burned forever i'm never getting them back and i don't want them back i want as much bch as possible because of how useful it is for me in my life so there have been periods of my life where i've completely lived off bitcoin cash um and even in markets like this like part of my hype for usdt and wanting usdt to implode is uh i know that the market will tank and i will be able to get a bunch of bitcoin cash and as far as like <clears throat> the argument of uh and i know this isn't about that but just kind of tangentially the argument of like well the market's decided look this chart's that was like the first year maybe where everyone saw uh coinbase release bch and they were like four thousand dollars oh my god uh Anyone that's gotten into Bitcoin Cash after that has floated anywhere between $80 and $300. And while that's significant, that's not so much that, like, you know, you're you're perma-wrecked. So, uh, yeah, it's the volatility. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure uh, Joel has made similar points. It's never been really that much of a concern.
0: You just... I mean, the, yeah. You just get the as much isn't.
1: as you can when you can. You spend it as money when you... Uh, when you want to transact and it it just feels natural <laughs> at that point
2: mm-hmm.
3: this is a really interesting angle and i all i would say is you know i would query whether everybody has that mentality because if, right, if you're introducing this, yeah. introducing this to like a new country, um, people who've never touched cryptocurrency before and you're saying we're gonna create a new economy for you and you're gonna use this new currency, but the value that you're gonna get as income or the the cost of rent is gonna, you know, fluctuate day to day. I think that's
1: a really hard sell. <laughs> well, it right is, but- and that's but yeah, that's gone. honest like think uh, think of if the like the max kaisers went to el salvador and they were like hey your country could be wrecked forever if this goes wrong do you think he'd be like yeah. okay yeah we'll give it a shot
0: i mean this is what uh and you'll see on this uh i'll send you this episode later but we did an episode a couple of weeks ago with bitcoin jason who is in the uh, Bitcoin Cash City, and he's doing merchant adoption and stuff like that. Because the Bitcoin Cash community approaches things from bottom up instead of a top down perspective, they they do attack these these problems. So yes, the price can go down, and it is you know potentially a problem. But the thing he does is well, firstly he's upfront with them, and he tells them that stuff straight away. He doesn't sell them the moon that we're going to be. You know, he's explained to them this is a. Tr- payment system i'm trying to pay you and crypto is volatile and all that but then on the other hand he's a real person that if they have problems, if they're like the market's crashing, they bring him up and they say, what's going on? And he explains to them, okay, Terra just depegged, and this is a disaster and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And like, that is not a very, it's like, you know, Bitcoin, uh, cash or, uh, you know, BDC mm-hmm. does not have a support hotline that you can call. The community is that support hotline. And the Bitcoin BDC support hotline is like, full of like online weirdos with laser eyes that if anybody gets upset, they try and, you know, see what's going on. And then they just get told you're an idiot stack sats, hodl, you know, have fun staying poor. Like that's, that's the Bitcoin BTC support line. The Bitcoin cash support line is yeah. You know, maybe, you know, just make sure you buy in slowly over time. Are you still transacting with people? Yeah, it sucks. We're not going to, you know, there's there's an experiment, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. We're not trying to sell you that it's inevitable that you're going to be a millionaire in 10 years. We're trying to tell you today you mm-hmm. can, you know, join a new yeah. economy. It's just a different approach, I guess.
3: I promise not all the BTC hotlines say that.
0: <laughs> yes, no, no, I know There's also,
3: what I'm discovering as I get more into the community is that there is also quite a wide, you know, range, varying voices In the space and you definitely have some as as you describe and they're kind of like the image of the bitcoin pros that you get right on bitcoin twitter and so on that gives that sort of cultish face to it but there's i would say a lot of communities that you know would have that kind of supportive attitude um but i also think maybe not to fixate too much on this whole volatility thing because it's not really the point i wanted to make and whether it's sort of bitcoin or bitcoin Cash.
0: We're all in it together as far as volatility goes. (laughs) I think, yeah,
3: well, well, what El Salvador, I think, demonstrates is like there is a case for, you know, Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash, these sorts of currencies coming in and helping uh, increase financial access and also financial access with the rest of the world. Right. That kind of taking out the middleman and giving more back to the citizens. And I think, you know, that as the main goal of what we're working towards still holds. And there's just yeah. a lot of details we need to work out in the meantime.
0: That's right, exactly. And as always with with crypto, we're going to work it out very slowly and painfully and- <laughs> by free market experimentation with no bailouts <laughs> and just and just make it happen. So yeah, let's 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 talk about that uh, a little bit. So Bitcoin is a humanitarian <sighs> project, and and this struck me that uh, when we were talking at um, the. The meetup you know that was something you said to me like bitcoin is just a humanitarian project and I, I agree with you that's the same way i think of it as and it hasn't really been branded or explained that way uh, since since the beginning the strangest part of it was that um once it was sort of published and out there you know the very deep down the rabbit hole people immediately were like okay look it starts with, okay, this is, you know, a new PayPal basically or whatever, but then it just quickly escalates into, okay, can this be the new global reserve currency and then can it improve financial access for parental, Can it rethink the way we approach governance, the way that we do cooperation at scale, all those things just like kind of come out of it. But unfortunately, just like Bitcoin has no uh, support hotline, it also has no you know marketing department or to the best extent that it does it's also offset by the anti-marketing of everyone who doesn't understand mm. it or who hasn't read about all this or is just bewildered by this financial scams and different you know mm-hmm. stuff that's going on right so bitcoiners have always sort of tried to explain look like for instance charity is a huge part of the bitcoin and the cryptocurrency ethos you know like vitalik buterin has donated uh loads to charity and there's just all there's always been uh mm.
3: sam Baker freed
0: yeah exactly yeah. you know and even going back i'm trying to remember what was the early there was one way back in the day that was uh really known for it but anyway the mm-hmm. idea is it for a long time it's been a it's been a humanitarian thing and the there's sort of a contrast between bitcoin as being this kind of uh free market you know we're not no taxing Mm. us or like you know redistributing wealth like being Mm -hmm. totally against that and being anonymous and everything but then on the other hand it does actually marry up which a lot of people don't really understand with the bitcoins are not against charity they're against forced taxation but that doesn't mean they're against you know public funding you have all cryptocurrencies are starting to figure out ways to publicly fund open source development and do stuff like that and then on top of that yeah charity and you know financial inclusion you know access to to more people uh you know giving everyone in the world the the tools to be on more of a level playing field you know and that is a profound revolution in in human society in existence it's just you have to explain that along with all of the you know financial parts of it and we we haven't done the best job of it so yeah give me give me your Mm -hmm. take about all this
3: this is like my favorite angle of bitcoin and i don't think we talk enough about it I, i think the narrative that we hear much more at least you know in the west is this whole angle around it's a way to hedge and you know hedge against inflation but what they're really saying there is protect the value of your property you know your your money from being devalued or through some sort of government interference. And if you think about it, like if we're talking, you know, five to 10% inflation year on year, I mean, that is half your wealth eroded over the course of your lifetime, right, more. So it's not a small thing, but I think all of those, you know, that that whole idea of having a currency that is uncensorable, where you can transfer it uh, transact with it, you know, send it across time and space without any kind of uh, censorship. That the value of that is just exacerbated even more, or really amplified, when you take it to places um, that don't have a lot of the things that we take for granted. So, if you're talking about, you know, c- there are certain countries out there where their currencies are just absolutely crashing, right? And having something like Bitcoin is a lifeline out. And I mean, Ukraine is actually a perfect example right now with the war going on and the Russian ruble falling. Um, a lot of people, a lot of Russians, I mean, they, they were honestly going to Bitcoin also to Tether because it's got a lot more liquidity. And that is something that, you know, you couldn't have had before all of you, You could say that Bitcoin, it doesn't have to be something like Bitcoin. You can, you can go with any cryptocurrency that lets you evade, um, lets you sort of get out of your fiat currency, even when there are sanctions and so on. Uh, but I think in that narrative, it's kind of like, well, if you if you need to put your money into something, why not take the most secure, you know, the, the one that is most censor-proof. Uh, so there's, there, there's the point around the value itself, which I think, you know, so many countries um, have encountered in recent years, hyperinflation, crashing currencies. And for them, it's like a very real deal. I think the other very interesting use case, um, and sort of best illustrated, I guess, by example. And you've mentioned, you know, I'm a big fan of Alex Gladstein. I, I I think he does some really good work in this space with the Human Rights Foundation to publish stories from people who are living in some of um, what he would call these totalitarian or you know oppressive regimes around the world. So countries like North Korea, you know, examples like in Palestine, uh, lots of cases in Africa where you're basically giving people in, in these authoritarian regimes a way out, right? Because let's say you are leaving, um, let's, say, let's say you don't like the way your government is treating you and you wanna leave. Just a very basic example. A lot of that would be near impossible if that involved, you know, leaving behind sort of everything you have. And I guess the, the idea is, with some of these fiat currencies, they're really closed currencies. You can't just, you know, take it out and, and convert it once you're at the border. In some cases, you can't take it with you at all because of the sort of uh, hardship or the effort that is required to get you, you know, from if you're a refugee, for example, out. And there, are, he 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 does um, highlight some really like amazing stories of people who leave and all they have is, you know, access to Bitcoin and that's kind of like their lifeline. Um, I I don't know how common those narratives are, but it's definitely something that, if that became something that was like really used, I mean, that's an an amazing sort of escape. Um, And then there's kind of, well, we talked about remittances earlier, right? But if someone was to send money to some, you know, a parent in Palestine, the amount of gate- gates and checks that that would require today, versus just sort of instantaneously via Bitcoin, there is a really, really big argument for the S in ESG that is really not sold well at the moment. And if you know if it's a marketing problem, I think that is something that, if cracked, would really help people see Bitcoin not just as some sort of get rich quick scheme or you know just as a simple hedge against inflation i mean what is inflation anyway a lot of people i think now this year last year they're talking about more but before that if you had really used that as the main case for bitcoin i think it's like that's not compelling enough but i think in a lot of parts of the world where these problems are much more at the forefront it is a a huge deal
0: yeah and i think to me it's sort of a great tragedy or irony of cryptocurrency adoption that it's the it's the inverse side which is maybe now slowly starting to come to prominence of the whole sort of black markets and drug dealer kind of angle right because the thing is bitcoin will tell you bitcoin is for everyone and that's that's a very hard thing for people to wrap their head around to be yeah. honest because you say uh Oh look, Bitcoin's being used by all these scammers and by these drug dealers and by these illegal so yeah. activity and yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Well,
0: firstly, yes, that. But the <laughs> other thing is, then people say, so you just think that any you know terrorists or anyone can just use Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. And and it's like, yes, I said Bitcoin's for everyone. That means everyone. I'm not. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not limiting that. You know. And it's funny that mm-hmm. we're in this world of people are trying to be. You know. Yeah, inclusive and accepting and all that mm. sort of stuff. Like Bitcoin is the ultimate form of that or cryptocurrency generally, I guess, which is yeah. that literally it's just, you know, maths and a communication channel and maths doesn't care. Maths is decentralized and we've got the internet slash, you know, that even more internet, you know, is spreading everywhere, but you theoretically don't even need the internet. There's been services, mm. you know, that have done Bitcoin via SMS and, you know, any, uh, any yeah. way that you can transmit information. You can, you can do Bitcoin. And so once you combine the fact that it is for everyone and the fact that it's also neutral, I mean, you know, there's maybe a slight asterisk on that. But to a greater or lesser degree, it is not uh, involved with the government, you know, controlling uh, what is going on, saying who can do this or who can't do this. And just like I was saying about the skeptics earlier, that's another thing they don't understand is that Bitcoin is for everyone and that includes you when you fucking need it because it's easy to just say, oh, I don't care about this or this is all a scam or whatever. It's because they're yeah. only taking a, a one-sided view of, oh, look at these people who got wrecked out of cryptocurrency and they're not seeing the stories like, like you're talking about of people who had no other option and that that was how they, they made it happen. It's like you know, insurance or, or, or a lawyer, like you don't need Bitcoin and you think it's pointless or stupid until you really, really, yeah. really need yeah. it. And there's no yeah. other option. Right. And we've mm-hmm. seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you say, both the Ukrainians and the Russian on both sides, they yeah. need Bitcoin. The Canadian truckers, is they need Bitcoin. You know, it's just going to be story after story, after story, after story of, if it can be censored, it will be censored. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lock that down. Right.
3: Yeah. And I, I know some of my, um, you know, friends from, countries like Sweden where generally things work and there's been no real reason in recent memory to question and be skeptical of the actions of government. I think they will say, okay, this is like very paranoid. This will never happen in the West. But then I think that is an attitude you develop uh, that is kind of a dangerous sort of complacency because it just means, I mean, these things always do happen, like history has shown again and again, right? it just depends where on that curve you are like how far away are you in, from recent memory of the last time it happened because if the more comfortable you are you are it tends to um Ray Dalio has written about this as well it tends to just suggest you're closer to this sort of next time but yeah. it's just like every time we've had a world war people were not expecting it up until it happened and then it like takes Luna. another <laughs> right it takes another it takes enough time for you to forget that these things are possible to get really comfortable and then you're reminded again. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The circumstances of your complacency are what causes it to happen again. Mm. If you'd had some more paranoid people in the mix the whole time, you wouldn't be in that kind <laughs> of bad situation to begin with, right? Paranoid people,
2: yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. And that's mm. what, you know, that's why I just, I'm just mind blown that a lot of people first, okay, it is, you know, uh, incumbent on the crypto community to do a better job of trying to explain and You know, point out all the all these features, and like you say, that's definitely something that has been not done, you know, as well as it could have been. But on the other hand, it's also incumbent on the listeners to listen to what we're saying, right? And there's many, many, many people that you can talk to until you're blue in the face about all of this stuff, and that but they've already dug themselves in on their side of this is pointless or this is stupid or there's nothing going on or yeah. it's a scam well, or whatever. I do
3: think there's room for something. Like more people, I think, are just ignorant to the side rather than completely close to it because it's really hard to sort of mm-hmm. ignore the facts, right, when you tell them that Nigeria is the second largest Bitcoin market after the US. Like nobody expects that. Um, yeah. You know, and then most of the like Bitcoin activities that goes into Africa, more than eighty percent of that is just remittances. Really, it's it's about people trying to get past censorship and get past middlemen, taking you know. So, I think stuff like um, the Oslo Freedom Forum, which will be held next week, I believe, and going over there. So that's run by the Human Rights Foundation, and they now have a big financial freedom pillar. I think you you got to have more things like that, and you know people coming all over the world, take those stories back and then build up that narrative so that it's more dimensions than it is right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Jed, do you have a point there? You kind of look like you had something you wanted to say. Nope. Okay. All right. And uh, well, sort of related to that is something I also wanted to ask you about, which is it's it's kind of related, but it's also kind of tangential, which is the mental health mm. aspect of it. And you, yeah, had a very interesting take that you you said to me when we were talking about this the other day that, you know, Bitcoin had, had been changing people's lives who were maybe not in this situation of, okay, complete desperation as to, mm. you know, being able to send money internationally, but they were in a sort of semi-related <laughs> camp, which is maybe like financially, you know, they were living in a, a society where everything was okay, but they had other problems, right? They had mm. problems with like, you know, drug addiction or something like that. And the ethos and the incentives of, of Bitcoin are such that it comes sort of packaged up with all these ideals about, they always talk about low-time preference or high-time mm. preference. I can't remember which, I guess, high-time preference low. is short-term thinking. Low-time <laughs> exactly. preference want low time preference. Thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the mm. Bitcoin B2C community focus on that a bit more. But it is uh, in built into, you know, crypto as a whole, the idea of yep. limited supply of currencies and so on and so forth that you will be rewarded in the future. And once you sort of pair that with the ideas about non-custodial, you know, be your own bank, and so on. Mm. Uh, if you so if you combine the fact with thinking in the long term, as well as taking responsibility for yourself, those those that that's essentially just the message of be an adult, basically. But uh, <laughs> maybe we live in a society, or a, you know, at a time where that yeah. some of that stuff is, has slipped away, like you were saying, and we need a reminder to get, like, does anybody really think that the generation that lived through the, you know, world wars, if crypto had come out when they were 18 years old, that they would have been having as many, you know, problems with, other the bank, you know, ripped off. All... Pro- probably yeah. not. I would, I would sort of guess, you know, well, they, they were already problems.
2: Probably. They,
0: yeah. They have bigger <laughs> problems. But the point I'm trying to make is that, oh. you know, people who are very self-reliant and, uh, you know, willing to take responsibility and be, you know, responsible for their own, um, you know, that's why Bitcoin's also big in like, um, you know, these uh, off-grid type of, you know, mm-hmm, communities mm-hmm. and self-sustaining communities and stuff. Like that, because people can see, look, this is, it's on me to look after uh, myself and that that message was helping people who n- needed that uh, for, for one reason or another.
3: Yeah, I have a, uh... Uh, so many thoughts on this topic I sort of I work in the mental health space of a company in the mental health space and I've been trying to think about the parallels between these two areas that I'm very um, both of them very passionate about but in different ways I think the the one you touch on is kind of one of the obvious ones for sure where this self-custody you know figuring out how do I stop relying on on state or you know on banks and that mindset shift, um, there are definitely some parallels between that and what, you know, in, in most modern, some of the most commonly used evidence-based therapies, it's all around personal responsibility as one of the key components, right? You have to make that mindset shift into actually I'm responsible for sort of how I feel, how I respond to the events around me. Um, so so there is there is something there. I think the narrative goes deeper though with, with, with Bitcoin and The thing that I find the most interesting, especially going to all these conferences and being surrounded by Bitcoiners, and I have people have told me, you know, Bitcoin has cured me of of addiction, of of mental health issues, of, you know, just a crisis of meaning, is is the community actually. It's this whole sense of, um, you know, maybe at some point these people back in, I guess, you know, 2011, 2013, when it was still just me in my living, me in my bedroom. Isolated, maybe in contact with some others on the internet, but it was, you didn't have the sense of being surrounded by people who shared the same kind of values, the same kind of vision for what the world is. And suddenly, kind of finding that tribe is a very powerful thing. So, there's definitely something within the community of Bitcoin that I think is really mostly positive, but there is also sometimes, you know, the sense of, okay, like people m- might come for whatever, but they stay for the community and they end up. Um, not necessarily like fully agreeing with everything that is said and done in the community, but they they want to be a part of it, right? And, and that is where it gets into, I guess we'll talk about later, some of this sort of like similarities with, with, with cultish type behavior that I'm not, and I'm not saying that Bitcoin is definitely a cult, but there are definitely moments where it feels that way. Um, so yeah, there's the community aspect, and then I think it's the purpose aspect, right? Just feeling like, okay, there's this, you know, the whole saying Bitcoin is hope. That for a lot of these people, maybe they lived in a place where, you know, they weren't really happy with the way society was set up, but they didn't know what could be done. And Bitcoin provides an alternative. It provides a vision that is a little bit, you know, sometimes it feels so far away because it implies so many things have to change for us to get there. But it is this sort of hope, you know, Bitcoin fixes this, all of these sorts of statements, whether true or not, it gives people a sense of something to strive towards. And I think that element of purpose and feeling like you're a part of something bigger than yourself is really, really important to just well-being in general. Right. Every um, any science of well-being will tell you, you need those fundamental elements, you need personal responsibility, you need community connection and you, you, you need purpose. You need like to feel like your life is worth more than just you know, living to the next paycheck
0: yeah yeah no very very well said and it's funny because it it yeah like many things it, it sort of traces its way back back to the origins that it was it it is an idealistic bid mm. for freedom essentially yeah. and you know that whole community aspect of you know it being about voluntarism right and the the thing about a community is fundamentally you can only join a community voluntarily like okay for instance you might be born in a particular nation you might be a citizen of that nation but you maybe don't feel a part of that nation or a part of the community whatever is said on paper if you in yourself don't feel like i'm boarding exactly this this project or this Mm. you know nation or or anything else whether it's your local sports team or it's your you know, friend uh, circle or yeah. it's uh, an event you attended or it's a music subgenre or it, it could be anything, right? And crypto is a very new aspect uh, of that. And like I talked about before with the sort of tribalism elements to it, it does double down for better and for worse on, the, on that thing of you're all on the same team and literally by buying Bitcoin, you you're you're putting your money where your mouth is you know you're we're all going to sink or swim together uh at the end of the day right and so those very strong incentives make it such that you're not messing around like you you got to buy in a bit Uh -uh. you know emotionally at a certain point too uh even you know once your finances get to a certain extent then probably
3: Exactly. You're exactly. in for real, you know. You have real skin in the game. Uh yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
3: And then and, and I mean I hear people um, talk about going to these conferences like you know, Miami a couple of weeks ago. And while you're there, it's like, oh my God, I found my people. These people get me. You speak the same language. And and then they go back home and they feel like, God, like you're really missing that energy again. And you no, know, now your friends and family, they look at you like you're crazy when you talk about things.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's 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 uh try and uh, hit on something i just want to quickly shout out so eat bch is the uh, charity i've got on the the slide they've been they do yeah uh, meals for kids in venezuela and south sudan they're a big part of the bch community and yeah if anybody's feeling charitable uh check them out because you know it's pretty easy to just send someone a couple bucks and uh you know do your good part in the world but okay let's talk about the remnant let's talk about alex uh Svetsky. so uh for those who don't know and i was only sort of Vaguely aware of any of this uh, before I talk to you, so I got to credit you for introducing me uh, this idea. There's this guy who's uh, somewhat uh, prominent, I guess, in the Bitcoin BDC uh, community. His name's Alex Vetsky, and he has this idea about the remnant, which is actually not his idea. And he would say that it's it's more he's promulgating, he's uh, he's explaining this idea. He's a, a prophet in in some sense of uh, he read this article, which um, was called Isaiah's Isaiah's Job, and it's basically this uh, essay from the 1800s, which was about the biblical story, which is much older, of Isaiah being told by God, "You've got to go and preach," you know, Christianity. I guess it was in the original uh, version, and the point was that God said, "Look, it's not going to work. Nobody like people are not going to flood in and think." great you're explaining to me about christianity and about the word and all that you know religious stuff like you're not going to get much results out of this but this is the mission go and do it anyway and so the question is well what's the point if it's not going to work and it's not you know people are not going to respond why should i do it and the answer was well you're not really going to see the impact but the people who need to hear that message will hear that message and it won't be that many of them but it will be the ones who are on the right frequency or they're at the right point in their life or, or whatever and so by just changing the opinion of a small minority that will then kind of ripple out and eventually the the masses uh, so called just the majority they will kind of come along uh, for for the ride. And so Alex Vetsky was like, well, this is a great idea. I love this. And he's basically just repackaged it with a lot of like sort of Bitcoin language uh, around it and started explaining that same idea to the Bitcoin community that why are we trying to be mainstream? It should be the other way around. We should try and be a disciplined kind of opinionated minority and that everybody else will get on board, not, when they want to, or when they if are curious or something, but when they have to, what I was sort of saying before about the crypto skeptic, once nobody else in your city will trade with you, except in Bitcoin, you're just, there's no arguing with at that mm-hmm. at that point. That's kind of his idea. And I uh, listened to a, a bunch of it, uh, his explanation. There's, I've got linked on the slide. There's one called Bitcoin is the remnant. The masses don't matter. Alex Tvetsky, uh Twitter spaces, which people can look at as kind of the, I don't know, I guess the um, authoritative, you know, summary of it or or whatever, Um, which is, yeah, it's actually, it's actually pretty, pretty great. I do recommend it to everyone and he's right. I think in the sense that not in the sense that you should try and push away people or that you should try and think you're part of some enlightened class, which is another big difference Mm -hmm. between the, you know, of the laser eyes Bitcoin crowd. They've sort of gone a bit off their rocker there, but The idea is similar to Nassim Taleb has this idea of the intolerant minority strategy, which is that you don't need to convince 100% of people to convince 100% of people. Actually, you only need to convince a small amount of people who won't budge on it, right? So if you're in a family of four and one person is a vegetarian, almost certainly everyone in the room is going to eat vegetarian most of the time. Why? Because it's easier to accommodate the one person who has a fixed belief and won't uh, bend to sort of peer pressure than to, you know, do two meals or for the same reason, you know, um, you know, halal restrictions and things around yeah. the world. And that kind of scales up, right? So if you have one person in one family who's vegetarian, then probably that family eats vegetarian. And then when that family goes to a meeting of families, maybe the whole event is vegetarian just to cater to this one uh, guy. You know, it does, it does break down at a certain scale, right? But the general idea is that uh, or if nine people in a room, you know, speak German and English, and one person only speaks English, well, the Germans will probably speak English just to be inclusive of that one uh, person. So you can sort of have a massively outsized effect by a small core of people who just won't uh, won't budge. And he's right. About, that's a core part of both the BDC and the BCH. Mm-hmm mentality you know so yeah i just wanted to get your take on this especially because like you said (laughs) you told me that you went to bitcoin 2022 and it did feel a bit cult-like yeah and And i met skutsky
3: as well so yeah um... well there you go you can (laughs) give us the review
0: of the man the myth the legend himself the proper. i'm gonna separate
3: him himself um from you know some of some of his uh, writings and his opinions which um i think are, are intentionally controversial and I think he says himself right he's not really here to try and and pander to the masses that's part of his message um there are bits of it which I think is like okay no there's a fair point here this is just sort of the way the world works that um as Nassim Taleb as you referenced in here in his in his writing he mentions that you really only need about three to four percent of the population who vehemently stick to an idea to get on board before the masses will eventually sort of almost by default come on and um sort of related to that is this idea that the masses or you mean the majority like if you if you, you don't change the world by catering to everybody it creates inertia almost by default right the masses will slow things down and so you do need that segment of the population that is able to and i think the way he divides it up he has a Whole kind of model of you know, there's the 20% in the Pareto sort of distribution that creates 80% of the impact, but then of the 20%, there's 20% of them, and then of them, there's the 20%, and they're like the ones that really move the needle. Um, and I mean, there's something in here as well, which is part of so his whole thing, right? He calls himself a toxic maximalist. It's also about, I think, anyway, stake putting a stake in the ground so strong that you really. Don't let that message be diluted. And so some of it is going to be controversial because you're not, you know, playing nice with everybody. You're making that point. And it's, I think when we when I have the discussion with maximalists and bring them, you know, there's this critique that you're you're too exclusionary. There's um, it's like Bitcoin or shit coins, right? There's nothing else. But I think part of the reason they anchor so strongly on that message is because you do have things happening all the time, like, like Luna. And, it's a, and they've lived through enough of those cycles to say there needs to be a strong message and that's what we stand for. Like, obviously there are nuances and so on, but, you know, when we're making a stake in the ground, we need to make that strong because there's going to be, that. that's what it takes in order to move the needle. So I think that part makes perfect sense. Um, I, the part that is, okay, so that around just, leave, you know, we don't care about mass adoption. I think that, I don't agree with, of course, because if you want the value of Bitcoin to be somewhat equally distributed, just going back to the humanitarian uh, promise that we talked about, I mean, then it makes no sense, right? If we're saying it's a different question as does everyone need to come on the ride in order for Bitcoin to succeed and to survive? No. But does everyone need to come on the ride in order for them to actually benefit from Bitcoin? Well, yes, like by default, you need that. So it's kind of a question of, what are we talking about here are we talking about you know giving this as a tool for freedom right that that it was sort of set up and, and has the promise to be then i think you know you need to talk about adoption um so it, it, to me it's like it's not either all on the cult topic <laughs> i definitely thought bitcoin was a cult when i uh went to el salvador and um at President Bukele's event, there was a moment where the entire crowd was actually just chanting, you know, Bitcoin. And it was like, okay, well, hmm, there is something here, right, where everybody is so hyped up about this. And I think in a way that is beautiful. The only times that it concerns me is when you get too much of this, um, almost, it sounds like statements from, you know, the party line where it's just, designed to kind of shut down conversation and this happens sometimes you know when you you ask someone a question that maybe challenges an idea around what maximalists believe and it it, the, the response I have to say the response often is a patient one that where they explain their perspective but then you also get the people you know on Twitter that just respond with the NGMI and you know sort of different ways to shut that door and I think that's a bit intellectually disingenuous because you're really not you know, you're not coming to this with with a, um, a, a sort of perspective of being curious, of, of allowing challenge. You're really also not allowing the conversation to go beyond, you know, one level deep, right? Because some of their defenses that i've heard or rather some of the arguments sometimes do seem one layer deep and then you start asking questions and then it gets a little bit too defensive so there are elements there where i think it's just there is a very strong belief system there's a strong language there's a very strong kind of uh, meme culture around everything that there it feels like when you are a bitcoiner versus you know some of the normies it's there is a distinction right and that's um of course prevalent in lots of uh, not just cults it exists all over where people have a strong sense of identity but i think it's only when you you start um, you know shutting down any challenge and i guess you guys would know having just sort of tried to bring out some of the nuances with bitcoin cash like you've obviously come across this a lot as well
0: yeah well uh, yeah certainly you know preaching to the choir (laughs) because i find it very i find it very ironic uh honestly that Alex Svetsky has this idea, like you're saying about the, uh, like the Russian doll of Pareto principles, which is is absolutely correct. You know, you have 20% of the 80% and you have 20% of that. And basically, if you take that idea to its conclusion, you essentially come down to like Satoshi, which is another thing that a lot of people don't understand. Uh, There was a time when one person out of billions believed that bitcoin was a thing and it was just satoshi and he launched it and then hal finney was like yeah maybe this is interesting right and then it went there so if you take that as your metric for success everybody's always like bitcoin's dying blah blah, blah. like whatever you just what what planet are you living on if you rewind yesterday there was less people that believed in crypto than today i don't know how much more mm-hmm. that needle has shifted but people are basically on a one way journey and yeah, there's more of yeah. them every day, right? Mm-hmm. And so then, uh, you know, just and yeah, let alone if you go back one year or five years or 10 years, people that are worried about crypto dying now like have no idea about the scale of human capital uh, in terms of mm. brain space, in terms of financial incentives, all that that is brought into like is gonna make this ship fly like hella high water kind of thing you know versus uh back in the early days right and the longer you're in crypto the more you slowly see that transition happen and you get this idea right so i find it fascinating that he he understands that a resilient uh minority is ultimately gonna win out in the end but then he doesn't understand or at least he hasn't you know thought it through or Maybe it hasn't really occurred to him that Bitcoiners are not necessarily the most resilient minority. I would say they're up there, but obviously to me, the Bitcoin cash community is leagues ahead. They're in a, they're in a new class like uh, in terms of resilience, like we mentioned before. like The Bitcoin cash community has been through three whole forks where they cut out a section of the community and said, just get lost like you guys don't get it or like we're willing to take the loss of that network effect and that brand and that momentum and everything like that because we're low time preference and we're thinking in the biggest vision like this has got to work decentralized and so on and so forth right so i think Mm. it's very interesting that he will dismiss you know competitors or maybe even something like ethereum could even be Mm. the same uh case which is i don't know that he has the strongest uh arguments or whatever around you can say that the smallest minority will or the strongest minority will win and that scale is not really a factor so much but then he hasn't i I don't think done the work to look into well obviously bitcoin is not necessarily the strongest minority because there's thousands of cryptocurrencies so there's little minorities in all those communities that are doing the same thing we all believe in this you know different thing and maybe there will come a point at which you know, a lot of the smaller communities are going to get kind of mopped up because people will actually be trading crypto. But unless people are actually trading and like we talked about the network effect of money, if you have 10,000 HODLers versus 10,000 people that earn and spend in in crypto, you know the the ten thousand that earn and spend are going to wipe the floor with the others in terms of how uh, strong their network effect is and how much it you know it incentivizes new people to join the network and so forth. And it might even be the case that a hundred people earning and spending Bitcoin is better than ten thousand hodlers. And that was the whole reason that the bdc and BCH community split yeah. in the first place, which was that the BCH community was like I. I don't, you know, as painful as it's going to be, we have to, like you're saying, we have to put a fork, you know, a yeah. line in the sand and say, look, this can't go any further because they had already been through fees going from 0.01 cent and everybody just spending it and adopting merchants and building an economy to, you know, the fees were a dollar or two dollars and they were on the rise and mm-hmm. the real commerce was was dying away. And so that, you know, to me, that that's kind of the...
3: Yeah so, sorry penalty. to interrupt
0: but yeah, go on.
3: roughly you know the community size just so i have a bearing here like what what is the relative size between bitcoin and caches and you know people bitcoins
0: this is the million dollar question <laughs> isn't it because there there is no sort of objective uh, metric in that sense so if you look back at the timeline at when the block size was started bitcoin cash i would estimate was about 90% of the community mm. Or more, maybe ninety-five percent, and by the time hash power it, said ninety
1: percent, so I mean,
0: well, uh, that's not exactly a, a metric of the community, but it's of people who had the big money, obviously. But I would yeah. say, like, it was like ninety or ninety-five percent of the community were Bitcoin Cash, you yeah. know, or they were big blockers at the time, basically. Um, but then, by the time it finished two years later, they were, you know, maybe twenty percent or something, and the re- the difference was that you had this obviously growing. Uh, curve of total bitcoiners the whole time but the bitcoin cash community basically got completely censored and banned out of all the discussion so all the new people that were coming in they were only hearing one side of the argument so the bitcoin cash side which was initially the majority was getting slammed out of there and you know Thamos said if 90 percent of bitcoin users disagree with me then instead of changing the mods they should all fuck off and he actually meant that there was 90 of people that were like at the very least we needed to open the discussion even whether of what side they were on they were at least in favor of
2: mm-hmm. you know
0: hearing both sides of the argument but that didn't yeah. get heard and eventually turned into the nuclear option which was we're going to split split the community and do it our own uh -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of way but now uh, anyway
3: go on i was just gonna say because the reason i asked is also to get a a sense of you know because it it sounds like kind of what you're saying is the community around bitcoin cash is actually a lot more um they're more in a way like they're even more purists right they the way they stick to let's just call it the ideology because we're Mm. talking about cults here is even more intense than with the broader Bitcoin crowd because you have a lot of people in the Bitcoin crowd that really actually maybe they just got in, you know, in the recent years, they actually don't know that much about it. And every time the price crashes, they're probably coming out of the market. So you have Mm -hmm. a lot more people in that space there um, that are not, they don't identify with the ideology. They don't know that much about it at all, right? Maybe they're just institutional investors who want to have a bit of exposure. And so, and I wonder if actually, I mean, I asked about the size because in a way it gives you a sense of what stages are the two on the journey because if bitcoin cash progresses at some point in order to get to the scale that that bitcoin has you will almost by default need to bring on board these less ideologically pure people because you're just not going to find them out there in the world so i i think yeah it's an interesting idea and i can understand why that is the case because you know these are the people that have stuck it through three forks they're really really committed um, but if you want to grow that community, you're going to have to dilute, right, the types of people that come through.
1: But we will be ready for it. I was a merchant <laughs> accepting BTC when we forked. It. No one was using it because it was too expensive. Like... And and we already have a plan for... Well, I mean, it's not set in stone, obviously. There's this whole chip process. But there's already talk about a dynamic, adjustable block size limit. And, uh, yeah, I think... Like, I was, I was in BTC. And I feel like I completely got excluded. And I was like, okay, fine by me. Fuck you guys. We literally have this thing that works better for me right now. I don't know why... Uh, yeah. I, like I've mentioned this on the podcast before, between BTC and Ethereum, I've completely like, they're dead to me because they've priced out so many people.
0: But I guess as far as the ideological sort of purity and that, that element of it of it goes, it's kind of the, the remnant again, which is, of course, as the BCH community grows, so let's say the price ratio right now is 1 to 146. Is there actually 146 times as many holders of BTC as BCH? Maybe or maybe not. I would say probably not. It's, it's maybe maybe it's like 60 to one or even 40 to one or something like that. But the key point is that the vast majority of the people who hold BDC are not like Alex Svetsky and are gonna, you know, ride or die with the ship. If they see the winds blowing to Ethereum or to Bitcoin Cash or to Solana or whatever, they'll sell their coins and jump on that train, right? So what really matters is the sign kind of the kind of core that then everything else is 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 kind of built around so although the bch community is much smaller by absolute numbers in terms of ride or die people the difference probably isn't 40 to 1 it might be 5 to 1 or something like that the Mm -hmm. advantage is much smaller and interestingly those bitcoiners who are ride or die they spend their whole time posting that graph of the price chart of bdc to pch and they take it to mean haha look how poorly the market you know it's over we've won the market has spoken but that doesn't that's not the remnant if they were thinking of the remnant they would think holy shit these guys have been massacred and they're still here they would take it as a sign of strength not a sign of you know you're inevitably going going to zero um so you know there's just quite a quite an irony in that and of course as the network grows and expands you know there will be less and less people who are you know ideologically bought into all this but there's two countervailing factors one is that if the network works for them then they're already on board whether they know it or not if they're using it to transact they've they've made their choice they're paying the fees to the bch miners and we're winning by default whether or not they know all these hundred other you know elements to it. And the second thing is that we can educate more people and we you can there's not like a hard cap like we can create more people. That's the whole reason there is this podcast that there was that Who Killed Bitcoin documentary that there's FAQs on my site that blah blah blah, blah you know I'm okay. using my me sort of as an example but the community as a whole is is kind of doing the work to to spread and explain that message. And ironically the thing about BCH is that you cannot choose it by mistake. You know The BTC people will say, ha we've got the brand, so you guys are done. But it's another remnant idea. If you're in Bitcoin yeah. Cash, you can explain what is BTC, what is BCH, and why is BCH better. There's no way around it. But 99% of BTC people just they say Bcash is a scam or they don't know anything. They don't know the history. They don't know what happened. They don't know why it exists. They don't know about it at all. So they've just chosen Bitcoin BTC because it was the biggest. They didn't make a, a conscious choice so that Mm -hmm. means on average the bitcoin cash adopters you know are are, and that scales as well too the bigger the community gets the uh, the bigger the ability to spread that education gets as well too so I don't know. Anyway, that's a that's that's a, <laughs> that's lot a really dialogue. interesting.
3: Yeah, yeah, the, I, you're right. I wasn't expecting the angle, but I, I I like it actually. I'm curious. I mean, a bit of a maybe a tangent, but who are you targeting? You know, when you're educating, because it's obviously not the Bitcoiners that you're trying to convert over to Bitcoin Cash. Is it just people? Yeah, speaking. it is.
0: I mean, yeah, you know, we'll we'll take anyone who who will listen. I think the majority hmm. of the most laser eye Bitcoiners are a little bit of a, a lost cause not they're harder to convince or to you know explain and that's very cult like again then you know somebody who has no preconceptions uh about it just because they've dug in on so many things and like i said you know they're the least amenable to understanding like so imagine you know you started out with zero percent knowledge of bitcoin and you're now at 50 percent but they think they're at a hundred percent and so it's kind of like look a lot of this is right and i don't disagree with you and it all fits with exactly what you're thinking but there's a few things you've got to unlearn sometimes somebody unlearning things is harder than you know learning it for the for the first time and that's why it's very crucial that bch has been getting you know adoption and i've had loads of people on the show more than i expected actually who are more recently into the community who are you know maybe like you they joined in the last year the last two years the last 3 years and they understand they know about the fork and the history and all that but it's not like me i'm on this side you know because i've been i've been fighting that battle forever but for them they they learned and they learned okay these are the options and they chose uh, BCH and so I think we're going to end up uh, onboarding a lot more people in these scenarios like St. Kitts or, or whatever where people are, are using it and they experience it first as a tangible economy that they see somebody spending Bitcoin or somebody earning Bitcoin or they see everyone in their community starting to use it or maybe yeah, use it for remittances or whatever and they start from that pragmatic mm-hmm. understanding and the theory then gets filled in later you know i sometimes say like bitcoin bdc got the brand and bitcoin bch got the vision you know we got that that whole the, all those ideas about a cash economy and so on and so forth i watched uh, the other day a little bit of Nick Carter, I think his name is. He was on Lex Friedman um podcast. And the first thing he does is he gives him his little one dime and he says, Look, this is a physical manifestation of Bitcoin because Bitcoin should be like cash. And he literally says that, even though Bitcoin is like cash, Bitcoin is electronic cash. That was the title of the white paper. And the only reason he needs an open dime to say to uh lex friedman look we're making this cool transaction is because you can't just whip it out and send it to him and say it's on chain it's non-custodial cash you know i mean uh, that's not to say that those uh physical manifestations of you know crypto are also cool and interesting and stuff like that but just the the the, so many things come from the the premise and once you divert the premise off to digital gold or whatever there's just a million and one things that uh are impacted and like the volatility stuff that we were discussing about before and like this, like privacy you know the less people there are transacting on chain the more easy it is to do chain analytics for instance like there's so many different things that are built into the idea which you divert a little bit so yeah who's the message going to well to you hopefully and also to the <laughs> listeners and to the remnant to whoever chooses to listen whatever whatever stage they might be <laughs> i don't know
1: if i if i can go kind of full circle with my idea a little bit i think Like, I think you hit a couple points that I was missing, Jeremy, where it was like, uh, I think I'm ideologically in love with the premise of Bitcoin, right? And I think, and I didn't realize it until like years later reading uh, Samuel Konkin, like I'm definitely through and through an agorist. And my interest primarily comes from taking the power away from centralized entities with no accountability, and especially those that have monopoly on violence, like that's terrifying. So um being being in a situation where i'm priced out of being able to say i don't want to be a part of this system and this system doesn't want me and this one is the exact same as this one historically but allows everyone to use it and they're preparing for more uh more users on this you know on layer one on the most valuable layer um i think that was the encouraging part so we have the uh, ideal idol yeah ideologues and i know i'm not the only one like you know, Roger was called Bitcoin Jesus, and now he's Bitcoin Judas, because all of a sudden he's like, well, guys, this one seems more usable to me. He's um,
0: still Bitcoin Jesus, he just got crucified, that's it. Exactly.
1: That's um, and then and then when, like, the people that are just in it for fiat gains, or just a quick transaction or whatever, just want to experiment, they don't care the name of, or the brand of the, the, the chain, they just want something that works. And we're ready for that.
0: All right, cool. Well, you know, that's that, that might be uh, it for, you know, Alex Vetsiki today. So we've been going two hours. We're just coming into the final few little segments of the show then. We've got community comment of the week that I do. It's literally not always a Bitcoin catch person. And often it is, but sometimes I take the view that the community is everyone in the world or will be eventually. So especially if you, you know, crypto adjacent people sometimes get in there. This one comes from Kobe Crypto Cabane, who's this, sort of well-known crypto tweeter and uh, whatever. I'm personally a bit middling on a lot of his opinions. But anyway, he has a lot of good takes sometimes and he is an OG crypto person. Uh, So anyway, he said uh, on Twitter this week, in light of the UST Luna fiasco, so that's that's where it all ties in. He said, rising from the dead once is a fun magic trick. But... (laughs) But continually rising from the dead can make people believers. Maybe we die and go to zero forever. And it was all a symptom of broken economic policy. But every time we don't, believers become more resilient. And then he also replied to that with, What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Stand a little taller doesn't mean I'm lonely when I'm alone or something. So that's a quote from, uh, what's her name? Um, it's Stronger by Kelly Clarkson, is the song. Um, you know, so he's making a bit of a joke out of it there too but the premise is is solid and it, it again it ties into the lunar fiasco and it ties into the remnant ideas and stuff is there's that site you know bitcoinobituaries.com and now it just has like thousands of articles of bitcoin is dead bitcoin is gone bitcoin is over it's all crashed, you know, and it's like 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014. And it just, it just, the list goes on and on and on of just hundreds of people saying it's over and you're finished. And what people don't understand is that crypto is, does have these hype cycles and crashes and people get wrecked and sell out and all the, all the problems that happen with Luna or anything else. But I'm sure out of all the people who lost money in Luna, a lot of them will be still be there in crypto. They're still coming back. They're still going to research, learn their lessons and, start buying into another crypto right because you know yeah you just can't deny something that you've said is dead over and over and over. whether it's bitcoin is telling bch's that it's finished or whether it's fiat people telling or no coin is telling crypto people that it's over the fact that they're still telling you it's over means it isn't over and uh yeah i just really thought that was that just nailed it you know any uh, any any thoughts on any of that do you know Crypto Kobe for instance do you follow his uh I, stuff don't,
3: I don't but I like yeah absolutely resonate with the quote I think that's uh, I, I was told that from the very beginning right you you you're going to experience these these cycles and every time it doesn't go to zero there's yeah. there's there's a lesson to take from that and the kind of you're ready for it the next time as well
0: Exactly yeah experience teaches harshly but it teaches best as they say All right <laughs> then we got meme of the week this one I liked as well too. This is from at Icebergie on Twitter. So I, this seems like a bit of a setup, but I don't know how they did it. So they, they, the tweet is choose your fighter. And there's two photos. So uh, that are very like similar. So on the left is Richard Hart, who is this known, you know, crypto influenced the type of guy famously of his very scammy hex and pulse chains uh and it's him with some fancy car in this, like what do you call it? Like a tartan patterned brown like suit and sunglasses leaning on this expensive car, and then and he's a bit of a pudgy guy as well, too. And then on the right hand side, you have this second picture, which is Bitboy Crypto, who is another sort of crypto influencer educational channel, slash, you know. Maybe a bit less scammy than Richard Hart, but kind of actually very similar in a lot of ways. And he's also this kind of being coordinated. I surely somebody has just found these two photos. He's in a green, like tartan pattern suit sitting on his Lamborghini with his sunglasses on. And I just found this so funny because it just wraps up so much of crypto in, in one picture. It's like, are people choosing what coins they like, or are they just choosing? who to believe in you know and it's just funny that both of these guys would think they've got the flashy car the sunglasses i'm so cool but they're like a bit overweight and these guys would maybe be paperweight in a boxing ring so it's just kind of ironic that the tweet choose your fighter i don't know it, it made me laugh what, what did you make of this and do you uh follow or are interested in the ideas of either richard hart or bitboy jenny gosh
3: i'm sorry i don't oh no well that says it all <laughs> right there
0: that that's part of it you know that's part of what you're saying about the humanitarian aspect of bitcoin and all this stuff It's very, very divorced from this huge segment of the market and why people are confused about why cryptos like A, so volatile and B, you know, got so much hype and confusion in the public market. Because this is is what crypto is to Mm -hmm. a massive amount of people, you know, people who are either slightly into crypto or who are not into crypto, but they, you know, they know what it is, right? This is the face of what they're what they're seeing, and that of course, yeah. You know, if you go onto
3: Bitcoin Twitter, it's a whole other universe.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's I think where the the key points about you know conferences and meetups and stuff. I think that is super important because they're just a breeding ground for when it's just one on one, like like when mm-hmm. we met. You know, mm-hmm. it's just one on one. Suddenly, the signal to noise ratio just like skyrockets versus uh, anything else. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's hundred percent it's a slow, you know, version of people learning those things, you know, in those one-to-one conversations, but uh, like all things with decentralization, it scales very, very well. So the bigger crypto gets, the bigger and the faster that education uh, spreads, you know, which is, which is great to see. Okay. So last uh, second, last slide then is message to the community. So every guest on this show gets a chance to talk to the Bitcoin Cash community, again, interpreters as loosely as you like, uh, the diehards, you know, the current set, the future set, or everyone in the world who will eventually adopt uh, Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash, what What do you think we need to hear?
3: So, um, I think we talked a lot about the humanitarian aspects of this. I, I, I think, I won't beat that drum, more but i would say you know if we're thinking about how do we get this to take off how do we give it even more momentum it sounded like a lot of the projects around bitcoin cash is around just getting this economy in practice you know pay with it go go make it happen in your community so you know i sent someone sats for the first time quite recently actually just download a wallet of satoshi and send them some sats and make them Um, realize how easy it is that this is in fact something that is instantaneous that they can download you know set it up within minutes so i think do more of that like live the story and i'm sure most of the community on here probably is already doing that um but you know bitcoin or bitcoin cash whatever your affiliation put it into practice
0: yeah it never hurts to hear that just every single day you know it's just a battle of you know battle of miles one by inches just every every one little one little bit uh adds up and yeah people struggle to understand again it comes back to that personal responsibility and all those things like people just think crypto or bitcoin or the network or whatever it's just uh, can the devs fix this like no you can right. fix this you're there to fix bitcoin you, it's up to you, you know?
3: exactly exactly
0: yeah be the remnant <laughs> yeah be the remnant exactly Preach to the masses Ah. and the ones who need to hear it will hear it. Shout out to Alex Svetsky and uh, (laughs) Isaiah's job as well. All right, cool. Well, that will do it for the show then. Uh, As always, thank you very much to the donators. I love to see it. More of this on chain. Transactions, uh, start guide, FAQ links, all that stuff is at bitcoincashpodcast.com. Also, uh, there's links to all the like social media and stuff, but you can also check out Odyssey, Rumble, and BitShoot, especially because this week or last week, whenever it was, Bankless, who was one of the Bitcoin uh, biggest uh, crypto channels, they got banned off YouTube with no explanation and they did get their channel back. But the same thing has happened to Pomp, the same thing happens to everyone in crypto eventually the senses come for you and it's going to happen to me at some point given a long enough time scale so i'm already trying to kind of uh diversify shout out to ricky my one patreon and uh yeah shout outs for the show jenny where can people find you if you put out any public content and or who needs some recognition in the world who do you want to send some love to
3: yeah absolutely i mean i not yet not really um putting much out there i think definitely look at alex gladstein's writings um he's got a lot of great articles up oh, and also check out the Oslo freedom forum you know if you you have nothing to do next weekend go down to Oslo and, and be on the ground and you know go meet some people and hear what's happening
0: hell oh, yeah good good shout out jet anyone you want to shout out this week all right and I'm just going to shout out everyone who is on the uh, bch uh, upgrade stream like just seriously go check that out it's uh, Emergent Reasons had a really good comment afterwards where he said, look, there was a crazy diversity of people. You know, you had the politicians, you had the business people, you had the devs, you had the, you know, financial stuff, just like every everybody's just, you know, collaborating and, and pushing as a, a team. And, you know, it's great to see,
1: so. I do have one message. Okay, get in there. If it gets time for us to do the Bitcoin Cash Conference in St. Kitts, and Canada hasn't laxed up its travel restrictions yet. I'm gonna need someone to get me a private <laughs> flight out of here. Cause I'm going to that conference. <laughs> we need to make things happen. So this is my this is my one message to the community, please. We'll
0: we'll see we'll see what we can do to sort, yeah. But hopefully Canada gets its act together in the next uh, six months or you know surely surely the dam is going to break i was wondering about that today anyway that's a whole different topic we'll 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 do a separate episode on that we already have done a separate episode on the disasters in canada all right that'll do it for the show thanks everyone for uh watching and until next time the greatest story the world has ever known the rise and rise of bitcoin 2022 a single chance for
1: the world, a single moment in time. Bankers capture us all, our cryptocurrency flies. Gets to decide side, Phoenix fly from the flame. Bitcoin BCH, forever changing
0: the game. An underdog story everyone trying to deny. Bitcoin revolution,
2: crypto.